Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1992, uh, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992. But today, we're just, uh, we're, we're doing a flyer. We're doing, yeah. we're going off book. Mm-hmm. We're doing something weird, uh, weird and wonderful. We're going to talk about our favorite films of, of last year, Emily and I. Thumbs up. Um, thumbs up. It's thumbs, thumbs up, up Thursday, except it's Friday. Except it's Friday. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't, yeah, I don't have to go to work today. Because oh, literally yesterday at five p.m., they're like 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 two people are not feeling well, and it's just like oh, okay, you know, it's okay. literally just like I don't have to go to work today. <laughs> Listen, like I'm, that's just I, I have to I have to like edit my outline. Sure, I have work sure. to do, but I don't have to like go. <laughs> I I am sensing a little bit of a carefree attitude uh from you a little a little more well, like I, I have some freedom today libby and i were gonna go see a movie and then oh. uh we realized nothing was playing in the like time frame when we could start sure. the movie and do, i could both do this podcast and then we could go pick our child up from daycare in a timely fashion uh you know it was like I'm sorry it's fine i have a novel i have to finish <laughs> so <laughs> i'm like maybe i should do that so i'm gonna when we're done here i'm gonna go work well, on a novel and my outline so we're- we're going to talk about our top 15 favorite films with a with a, a smattering of honorable mentions. Yeah. Um because uh we fucking want to and we think that you guys might like it. I don't know. I, I mean, do you have any other thoughts other than that? I uh, think Emily? I think people have been like here's the thing. People always like Jen cuz I I was a critic for many years. People are always like, "Emily, what's your favorite whatever?" And like uh people have been asking me that about TV for 2023 and A, I feel weird giving my opinions on television because one of my top five shows is the show 
and like I didn't do have anything to do with season two. Yeah. I just watched it and appreciated it, sure. and like uh, you know. But also, I don't watch a lot of TV anymore. I, I watch some, mm. you know. But it like it, what sort of happens is like I have time to watch one show, which I usually watch with my wife. I watch it like one episode a week. So right, right, right. Uh, right now I'm enjoying Fargo season five. I'll tell you how I ultimately felt about it in June. Like that's right. you know. <laughs> But I would also say, too, to your point, and I imagine this was something that you grappled with when you were a TV critic, mm-hmm. is that TV seasons are fucking hard to do yeah. because they don't fall necessarily within the parameters yeah. of the year. So you get into a hole. It's annoying. We yeah. uh, used to have to like figure out how to handle Friday Night Lights at the AV Club. <laughs> Because it aired different dates on DirecTV yep. and NBC. And most people saw it on NBC, but DirecTV was like the initial airing. And like if you're doing a film list, you go with like what it aired in the US mm-hmm. when. But it was it was a very like it was a very complicated thing to the degree that we had to come up with something called the Friday Night Lights rule, which was oh. uh yeah, uh it, it ended up being uh uh helpful anyway. Uh, but my my point is, people ask me about TV, and I don't have any fucking opinions about TV anymore. But uh, you know, I do I do watch a lot. I do watch a fair amount of movies, not as much as I used to. So I feel like I can give a reasonably informed list. I haven't seen nearly as much as like my friend David Sims. If you want like a list from someone who's seen like 150 films, his is on Letterbox. Go look at it, or they'll probably do it. I don't on know the how Yankees. he sees all these movies. Like he has a child too. Well, right? I mean, like, literally, he's, like, know. but he gets paid to see movies. That's true. Like That's when true. you are a working movie critic, you can see two to three movies in an eight-hour workday, and then go, you know, do childcare and stuff. Uh, when I was a working critic, I, I it's a lot. It's harder in LA than it is in New York because getting around LA is a pain in the ass. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, when I used to go to New York for work and like see movies there, I could see like three movies in a day pretty easily, especially if oh, they wow. were like under two hours. Cause you know, you just hop on the train and they're all right. whatever. So right. anyway, the, the point of this podcast is everyone moved to New York, um, <laughs> and don't watch TV. Um, uh, but, uh, watch I... the shows that we work on though and Obviously. like give them great ratings. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I figured we'd just start at the bottom and kind yeah. of go back and forth. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to go first? Do you want to do your number 15? Yes, I do. Uh, and, and the honorable mentions we will do between two yeah, and we'll one, that. as is Perfect. the tradition of our people, critics, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I can start. I can do 15. Um, okay. So we should like, it's too bad we don't have like a, like a introductory like horn sweep. Just imagine <laughs> that one happened. Imagine sure. that like I was introduced by... i watch a lot of those siskel and ebert if we picked the winners oscar specials and they're so they're so wild uh but that's like they're in tuxes so i'm in some (laughs) evening wear is what's happening right now i'm in a beautiful blue ball gown um anyway uh i like uh margot robbie yeah uh, yeah Yeah, when i was so when i was working as a critic uh i would usually use my the lowest spot on my list to shout out something that like was maybe not perfect but was a thing okay. where i was like i'm gonna think about this for the rest of my life or i'm gonna watch this a lot i often would use it for like a blockbuster where i was like this has some issues but i had a blast with it sure. uh, i'm going in a very different direction this year hmm. uh, and i'm using my i'm using my 15 slot for a movie i'm relatively sure i'm gonna watch many more times uh, hmm. uh even though i think it has large issues and that is uh william oldroyd's eileen uh okay. the uh kind of weird queer pseudo queer 
pseudo horror pseudo thriller that's also kind of a character study and also kind of about sexual repression um i am the i'm i'm not always a huge fan of uh, uh, uh otessa i don't know how to pronounce her last name Moshfeg, but yeah, yeah 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 the 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 novelist who this is based on and she wrote the uh uh screenplay co-wrote the screenplay with with her partner uh but i i i love this novel i love this movie i think uh, Anne Hathaway in it is all of my dreams of who I want to be. Um, just to give you just a very brief idea of what it's about, it's about a young woman played by Thomas McKenzie who works at a uh, uh, basically a, a juvenile detention center for for boys, uh, and a new psychiatrist who starts working there. Uh, Rebecca St. John, uh, played by Anne Hathaway, she becomes obsessed with her, and then she sort of gets drawn into like this woman's orbit. Um, a lot of people don't like the third act of this movie. They think it goes off the rails. I think that's when this movie becomes great. So, uh, uh, that's Eileen. I really enjoyed it as well. It's it's not in my, it's not on my list, but it was in my like expanded list, if you will. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I went to see a screening of it at the WGA theater and there was a Q and a afterwards with the filmmaker and the writers. And it was, it was kind of fascinating because I think the movie is, kind of strange yeah like tonally it's kind of all over the place um but i really loved the two central performances i even actually really like the father shay wiggum plays her dad and yeah she's amazing always yeah. great yeah mm-hmm. he's amazing uh he's amazing um uh, sorry but... to misgender you shay <laughs> but i did feel like the plotting of it is just bizarre right the, the plotting of it is is like you'd plot a novel, which is fine by me because you right, know right, uh, right, I work right. in 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 both forms. But definitely, like yes, you're like suddenly it's a different genre. <laughs> like Thirty minutes from no, yes. yeah, and it also kind of ends on. It's kind of funny, but it sort of ends like a leap of faith. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> With Thomas and Mackenzie just kind of driving off into the sunset, and you're like. I had a discussion uh, a while back with some some friends about like if the movie Carol is about a sexual predator. Uh, I don't oh, yeah. think it is, but I think that's a valid reading of it. I think yeah. that's a totally valid reading of it. And Eileen is kind of like turning that question up to like 15. 100%. <laughs> and and it, it and Carol would make such a great double feature. Uh, they're both set at Christmas. They're both about like weird uh, queer-ish. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This one's more ambiguous about the queerness of it, but it's there. Uh, and, oh, it's there. For sure. Yeah, like it's ambiguous is the wrong word. This one is a little bit less... Mm, this was a little bit more skeptical of the queerness, I guess I'd say. Yeah, I mean, Anne Hathaway is fantastic in it. And yeah. and I actually would say it's, you know, Thomas and Mackenzie is a, uh, she's, it's been an interesting road for her, mm-hmm. I'd say, over the, you know what I mean? In terms of she has a very specific voice and a very specific kind of style, which um, can seem quite frankly, a little cartoonish, if not yeah. handled properly. Um, but she's really good in this. Um, and Anne Hathaway, I think, in like a different year could have found an Oscar nomination. I Absolutely. Think. I think, you know, honestly, I'm I was looking at that supporting actress lineup uh for some reason, and it's it's kind of 
it's not the world's best lineup. I do think like there were better performances in a lot of the movies on my list that could have easily snuck in there. Um, Not to just besmirch any of the folks who are nominated because a lot of them are very good, but uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Anne Hathaway and Mara in Ireland in this movie are both people I would think about for my supporting actress ballot. Anyway, Eileen uh, kind of the less you know about it, the better, except now you should also know that like, it is about uh, women who want to kiss, but will not. Um, yeah, yeah, they really want to kiss. Them. They really want to um, kiss. So my fifteen is the zone of interest. Okay, so listen, I, here's my proposal: if we have a movie that's going to be yes. higher on one of our yes. lists, let's just skip ahead. Wait, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's going to be higher on my list. So okay. let's. Um, we can talk about it when it, when we get to it on your list. I'll you, uh, say I found that zone interesting. <laughs> um so uh okay so do your 14 and then i'll do mine uh so basically absolutely every movie uh from here on out i'm like well that's too low including my number one uh so i i do feel like i feel i like my ranking i think it's the accurate ranking but it is definitely um a thing where i'm sort of like oh okay i wish this was higher Uh, my number 14 is uh um what's his name ira sax's passages did you see that one phil I have not seen this film, unfortunately. Uh, I do need to watch it. It's pretty brilliant. Uh, it's it's uh, an hour and a half long, which is the thing I always lead with. It is about uh, a kind of a weird love triangle that opens up um, this this man, this director uh, who's getting bored with his husband, goes off and has an affair with a woman. Uh, and basically this movie is really not about that. It's very frank about sexuality. It's got some of the, the, the like best sex scenes I've seen in a long time, just in terms of how they depict the intimacy between these characters. But ultimately it's a movie about what if you were in a relationship with a real fuckwad, like, what would you do then? <laughs> Cause like both of these people kind of have separate realizations of, Oh, this guy's like just a total piece of shit. Uh, and uh, you get to watch them grapple with that. You get to watch the relationship that forms between them. It's it's brilliantly uh, the the acting is is terrific from the central trio of um, uh, Franz Rakowski's the lead. He's amazing. Ben Wishaw is the the quietly suffering husband, which is like an impossible part to play, but he's very good at it. And then uh, Adele Exarchopoulos is uh the the woman and she's also uh, terrific um it is just it's just a good it's kind of an erotic thriller not really because there's not like the thriller aspect but uh watching it i was reminded of a lot of the movies we've watched for 92 also a very weird trend right now of movies set in like continental europe that are like kind of american in sensibility uh this is directed by an american co-written by an american uh and but and yet is just very much a movie set in france where everybody kind of speaks english because they're all from like different countries uh it's a very it's a very eu kind of movie it's you know everyone uh, you know that i respect has been talking about this movie it fell through the cracks for me um i need to rectify that i hear it's wonderful i i wish i'd seen it in theaters because it is a movie where i was like i watched it at home and i really liked it but i felt like i would have liked it more if i just like sort of been trapped with it um it's uh yeah it's it's very frank about sex in a way we don't get anymore which i appreciate it my number 14 hell yeah might be higher on your list so we might be doing this again but uh anatomy of a fall i also yeah (laughs) (laughs) phil 
We're going to get there. It's going to happen for us. Okay. Going to happen uh, what's, for us. What's your 13, Emily? Uh, this one actually might be higher on your list. Uh, my 13, I actually, I'm like so upset this is this low, uh, is showing up. It is higher on okay. my list. Okay. Well, we're going to keep going. We'll get there. Kelly Reichardt's showing up. We're going to talk about it soon. Uh, 13, Fallen Leaves. Nope. Not higher. Not higher. Not nope. on your list. Uh, it made my honorable mentions. I liked okay. it a lot. But I, I, it's not a movie I've thought about once since seeing it. So, okay, I, you know, so this filmmaker whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, Car, um, Car, Karaskami, I believe. There you go. Mm. Sure, um, is not someone whose films I had seen before. <clears throat> um, yeah. I have a friend, uh, past and future guest Simon Ennis, who's mm-hmm. a filmmaker and a good friend of mine in Toronto, uh, was raving about this movie. He's like, sure, you sure. need to see it. You need to see mm-hmm. it. Um, so I did um, with past and future guest Dana Schwartz. Uh, and I just, I was absolutely floored by it. I, I mean, I, I think that the, the reason that it, and this is maybe something that we'll talk about with other films, but like, there's just a, 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 a simplicity to it and a cleanliness to it and sort of a, um, an intimacy to it that I was like, we just don't make a lot of movies like this. This movie barely makes it to 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, it is just very concise. It knows what it's doing. The two of them are so lovely. The wink at the end crushed me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I think also, you know, uh, as a, a single person mm-hmm. um, trying to find their person, um, you watch a film like this and, you know, it not it I forget about like giving you hope, but it's just like <clears throat> your person's out there, you know. And I, I I think I just really appreciated the kind of the messiness of it, the um the honesty of it. The female character is just so real mm-hmm. and like not fucking around, and the guy is wants to be better mm-hmm. and doesn't really know how to be. Um yeah, I just and it's it's funny and I don't know. I just it really it really really worked for me. But yeah, yeah, I I did I did love it. It was in my list for a long time, and then I've seen I've seen like five movies in the last six days, and they're like all they're all on my list. Sure, so, sure. Uh, I I yeah I I did really love it. I I it has a good dog, which is one of the important things for a movie yes. to have. Uh, I again, I I agree with everything you said. I think it is very funny the plotting of them like not quite connecting uh, mm-hmm. in the early half of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I I I have often I have the same sort of take on Karsmaki, which is um, I really like what he's doing. I really vibe with what he's doing, and then like I just it just kind of bounces off me, not in a way where I don't like it, yeah. but in a way where like it doesn't stick with me. Um, and uh, yeah, this is just like that. I I'm. I'm 100% sure, though, that, like, at some point in my 50s, I'm going to buy, like, a Criterion box set of all his movies and watch them and be like, oh, okay. All right. I get it There is – I I do – I know what you're saying in the sense that, like, I don't know that – that it's lingered with me in the same way that other films have this year, Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, I think part of what you're getting at is just that – the simplicity of it to some degree i mean i think it's something that you could that some people might throw at kelly reichardt as well right yeah. that, that there's just sort of like you know they're not noisy movies they're just they're very quiet i think also the movies that tend to hang with me are movies that have a lot of like 
tendrils that are kind sure. of dangling. And this movie doesn't really, it, it, it leaves you that. with the sense of these two are probably going to be fine. You know, like, and that's <laughs> yes, great. Yes. Like that's, yes. that's very reassuring, but I, I tend to like stuff that feels a little more incomplete. Uh, and, and for mm-hmm. better or worse, this movie feels very complete and in a good way. Like that's not I a, that. that's not a detriment. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. You're up. Okay. Well, number 12 uh is uh another foreign language film uh, another non-english language film we should an say international film an international say. feature film mm-hmm. which i don't believe no it wasn't because this the the other the, this country's selection was nominated but uh it is uh godzilla minus one yeah. um i god i love this movie is it is it <laughs> higher on your list i it doubt is, it's, it it's actually it just didn't make my list okay so all right so please go godzilla for it. Minus one. I like. I went and saw this movie because I just wanted to see something, and uh, I live right by a movie theater, which is how I still see things, even though I have a child. Uh, after the child is asleep, I will go see like whatever's playing within the, like a half hour window, so I know I can see it and still get to bed. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. And Godzilla minus one was playing, and uh, I had just seen um, the Boy and the Heron, uh, so I was very much in a mood of like, oh, okay, I want to watch uh, great Japanese filmmakers grapple with the aftermath of World War II. That sounds fun. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. And this movie is the best blockbuster, and I'm using that in the sense of like franchise movie mm-hmm. that I saw in 2023. It is. What's brilliant about it is it uses Godzilla as a metaphor for trauma, but not in a sense where you're like, everyone's like trauma. Here you are. It's in the sense of like, it is very much always in the sense of if there was an enormous lizard that was like destroying the countryside, we would all be like talking about how to deal with that. That would be a problem. Uh, And yet it is also like, it is very rooted in this main character's relationship to godzilla which is also a relationship to his own like ptsd from the war which is also a relationship with like this woman he meets after he comes home and like this child that they sort of take in and it's like it's a really beautiful story about found family and it's a really moving heartfelt domestic drama it's got some great performances from some amazing japanese actors who you if you see a lot of japanese film you've seen in other things and this is like you know when like uh uh you know one of our great character actors pops up in a spielberg thing and you're like oh there's pete postlethwaite in the lost world yeah. good for you pete um it it is like uh it's just it's it's a wonderful uh it's a wonderful movie about healing about choosing life about like learning to love yourself and other people and then every so often godzilla shows up and like stomps all over everything this is like the platonic ideal of an emily movie i'm surprised it's not higher it's just like what if a movie was about small intimate drama and then occasionally there was an enormous lizard i so it's so funny because you were raving about it to me and obviously other people were as well. And I was like, I, I got to go and see this thing. Um, and I'm very happy I saw it in theaters as well. Yeah. It's a movie that like you really do want to see on the biggest screen you can. Um, you know, I've seen a handful of Godzilla films. Yeah. You know, I've seen Godzilla 2000. Uh, I saw the the uh, Gareth Edwards film. Sure. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I saw the Roland Emmerich movie when it came out Absolutely. in theaters. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, this is the first time I've 
actually genuinely cared about the characters involved in a Godzilla film. Right. Um, I obviously agree with everything you're saying. I was really floored with how, um, how well it handled the melodrama because obviously in Godzilla films, that's generally not a priority, quite frankly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, despite the Gareth Edwards films trying to be kind of the Chris Nolan of Godzilla films Mm -hmm. of being kind of gritty and whatever, I never really locked into any of those characters. Um, This movie, I was just, I couldn't believe how heartfelt it was. um, How, allegorically it's obviously about the war it's obviously about um the 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 fallout of it and godzilla is shockingly a metaphor but i do think that i just couldn't believe how lovely it was you know what i mean how how Mm -hmm. heartfelt it was Mm -hmm. i just it was really and then when you read about how much spielberg loved it yeah and how he saw it like three times in the theater and the the filmmaker just not being able to even process that but like that makes total sense. This it's, does have a Spielbergian vibe to it. It's so much like, uh, so I do love that Gareth Edwards film as well. That made my top list for that year. Yeah. And it was like, but I think they take different approaches to how to tell a Godzilla story. Gareth Edwards is like, I have all the money in the world. So I'm going to make yes. a movie about how Godzilla is, is nature. Like you cannot stop nature. You're going to get stomped on. So the characters are expendable because you know if you if if there's an earthquake or a flood or something it kind of doesn't matter who you are you're you know sure. you're you're in danger this movie's like we have 5 cents that we found in a sofa somewhere and we're going to make a godzilla movie and so this movie looks great though yeah, it looks like amazing $5. like it was yeah. nominated i was so happy it was nominated for visual effects at the yeah. oscars cuz it's like it's my favorite use of visual effects last year cuz they have they have to make every shot count and every shot does count and but like this movie's like okay we can't have Godzilla on screen 24/7. We have time for maybe three or four sequences with him and he has to always be kind of shrouded because we're cutting around it. What can we do? We're going to tell like a really heartfelt character story. It I mean I get why Spielberg loved it. It reminds me of Jaws. It's it's like a movie that is 100%. like we have this monster but we can't show it for whatever reason all that often. Therefore, and um yeah, I I I'm I was really blown away by this movie. It made me cry. I don't cry a lot at the movie. It's movies. a beautiful movie. Um, I kind of wish I saw it in black and white because they did a black and white version of it that came oh, out in theaters as amazing. well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it is you know, just to to highlight for a quick second the, the, um, the technical component of this, the movie looks fantastic. Um, it, it, it has such a, a, a firm grasp on sort of the Jaws stuff of, you know, making those moments count with Godzilla, but also just like the beauty of the cinematography when when you know Godzilla's not on the screen. Yeah, um, just it's it's a really really well-made movie. I mean, everyone should see it. And I think like uh, just one last point as a writer, yeah. one of the things I think about a lot is like there is kind of this temptation I think often in American writing to try and constantly undercut the audience's expectations and to be clear if you just do a story that hits all the beats that everyone can predict that's often very unsatisfying but doing a story that does the opposite of that is also unsatisfying and this movie is worth seeing because it has two big twists you know exactly what they are from the moment they're set up and they're both executed so well that you kind of don't care you're like oh okay sure this is this is i'm so happy this is happening uh one in particular um, is is just so uh, you feel so good about like yourself after it happens. Yeah. Well, it's very. I, I to that point, it it feels. And I think this is one of the best things about movies. But like, 
it can feel really rewarding that you've invested in these characters and that you love these characters. And, yeah. and I, I think that we don't see that enough, um, you know, and maybe because people think it's sentimental or whatever the fuck, but like we're human beings, we should connect with other human beings. And anyway, yeah, so yeah. absolutely. What's yours? Uh, my number 12 is fair play. Have okay. I have play? not seen fair play. That's one okay. that I, uh, uh, most, so many people told me sucks. <laughs> I didn't go see it. Nope, that's 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 fine. <laughs> Those people are wrong, but that, that's, they, that's fine. They, ob- they obviously um, are. Yeah, you know, Fair Play was a weird movie um, in terms of how it sort of. It, I, I believe it was a Sundance movie. If I'm not, it had mistaken. so much buzz out of Sundance. Yeah, so it was a huge yeah. movie out of Sundance. Um, huge price tag that Netflix picked it up for, um, and I think they thought it would be buzzier. I think they thought that that more people would be talking about it um i saw it in theaters it did a very you know brief theatrical run um i went into it with you know it was produced by ryan johnson ryan johnson also produced american fiction this year two drastically dissimilar films and interesting that he produced both of them um you know it's a a female filmmaker chloe dumont or dumont i believe is how you say her name she's a tv writer that wrote this feature directed it herself as well um you know it's I know that there were people that complained about like the accents from the two leads. Sure. Uh, I, there were people that, that complained more about Phoebe than, than um, Jesus Christ. Why am I drawing a blank on is his it, name? Is it Alden? Uh, Alden. Yeah. yeah Alden mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I, I think that ultimately it's a pretty nasty movie. And yeah. I think that that's what I think turned off a lot of people. Um, and I think that with movies that play in this genre of sort of, um, nasty marriage movies for lack of a better way of putting it can be very off-putting to people and can feel as though uh it's nasty for the sake of being nasty which mm. i don't think this film is but i know that that was one of the, the criticisms of it sure um i i think they're both fantastic in this i think it's a sexy movie i think it's a overtly feminine movie i appreciate how um how chloe depicts this sort of vicious battle of wits if you will between these two people um yeah i i just it just really worked for me mm-hmm. but um and i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it if and when you do decide to watch it just because i think i am not a married person as i said earlier so like it's probably a little easier for me to watch a film like this and be able to kind of go along with it i think the people that are in relationships might find it even more distasteful oh no i love movies that are about how uh married people want to kill each other you know <laughs> uh it's 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 i I don't even want to say it's relatable content because i'm not in that that sort of marriage but it's very much like yeah like it's a thing where you're like you're in that situation you're like i get where this could turn rancid you know and and it takes constant work to have it not turn rancid so to a certain extent watching a movie like that is like wish fulfillment for me because it's like god what if i didn't have to work so hard no for sure i think you know the the movie opens and this is not a spoiler but uh the movie opens with the two of them uh having sex in a bathroom sure and it uh it becomes clear that uh she's menstruating and i i just was sort of like i first of all this there, there's a bookends of blood that exists in the film there's the idea of like i just i love a, a female filmmaker that's just like i'm fucking doing this and i'm going here with this and you're either on this train or you're not there, there there is kind of an aggressive component to the way that the film depicts this um you know uh, 
intense relationship between the two of them. And mm. I just appreciated the fact that that this movie um, kind of gives zero fucks. Sure. And I don't think that we make enough of those. And women certainly don't get to make these films enough. So right. I just appreciated that. One of the things I appreciate. I like the movies to give one fuck. So. <laughs> At least. What's your, what is your 12, Emily? I said my 12. I'm going to go oh, to my 11? 11. I think this is higher on yours. I'm genuinely sad I couldn't cram this into my top 10. Uh, it's uh, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. <laughs> uh, it is a little higher on okay. mine, so we'll right. talk about it in a second. We'll move past it. Uh, my 11 is David Fincher's The Killer. I'm okay. assuming this is not on your list. It's not. It didn't even make my uh, honorable mentions. I liked it. I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I, I forgot about it. I forgot it existed. <laughs> so... It's, I mean, as it seems was, uh, was Netflix's want, <laughs> um, it seemed as though they gave zero fucks about this movie. Yeah. I, you know, they, listen, I don't, I don't think that this would um, be high in my Fincher rankings no. by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thrilled I got to see it on the big screen uh, as briefly as it played in yeah. theaters. Yeah. Um, it was a, such a as is the case with Pinterest movies so visceral and so important to see his movies on the big screen um which is why it it just pains me that he continues to fuck around with netflix like just make movies please that uh, fincher for studios um but I, I i think what i liked about this movie um is kind of how lo-fi it is for a fincher movie um despite that there's obviously you know the technical stuff that fincher does i i I do feel like it's really just such a straight line movie and you know to to quite literally be inside the head of the the protagonist which is not something new for him necessarily but i just um i thought fassbender was great Mm -hmm. uh tilda's fucking great obviously it's a great cast um I just I think I like the cleanliness of it. Sure. Uh, I loved the metaphor of it. It's clearly about making movies. Um, it's it's maybe the most overt movie about, and then he's made fucking Mank. Uh, I I just think that this is very much kind of what it's like inside Fincher's head. Um, yeah. And in that regard, I really I really appreciated it. Yeah, I I liked it. I again I think it'd be toward the bottom of my Fincher rankings. Um, I I do like Fincher a lot. There's a there is a, um, I want to say cleanliness is the wrong word, but there is a like, uh, there's a quality to Fincher where outside of my favorite Fincher films, I often find, I often watch his movies and I'm like, I'm very impressed by this. This is technically proficient. Sure. Uh, you know, I never want to have dinner with you. Does that make sense? It's not in the sense that like, I want my favorite directors to be my best friends, but it's very much like in the sense of like, there's just a quality to his work that is a little bit alien that is mm-hmm. when it when when it clicks in I see there's nobody I like better and when it doesn't quite click in for me I'm like very very good sir good work <laughs> I liked he that is, a lot yeah mm-hmm. I mean it, he's probably the most surgical filmmaker we mm-hmm. have right that's the like, word I'm the, looking the, for yeah mm-hmm. you know the the, the the precision of what he does is is kind of unparalleled yeah um and that can be a a clinical vibe, right? right? Like it can be hard to emotionally connect with it sometimes. Yeah. Um. And and this movie, you know, in particular, feels very much sort of, um, yeah. I know I know what you're saying. We, it's th- th- this. It, it it is interesting that this that this movie hung around so long for him. He's been trying to get this movie made for quite some time. Yeah. Which I think is interesting because um I actually don't know that it's a particularly complex 
movie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, I was I I was talking a few years ago with a, a very good friend of mine, sort of about like how as women, the the film cult cults mm-hmm. around Fincher and Christopher Nolan, like we could appreciate their films, but like there were aspects of it where we were not even the cults as much as just like the idea of like these guys are the pinnacle of modern cinema or whatever it was sort sure. of like alienating to us because it, like there we found their movies they're sometimes very cold not in a sense of like we can't appreciate a cold movie but in a sense of like um it it felt a little bit like we were elevating one sort of storytelling as like mm-hmm. the what good film looks like which is not the fault of Fincher or Nolan and, but it does feel to me like Christopher Nolan has been like moving in a more to me, more interesting creative direction in his recent films. Like, I fucking love Tenet. So, and my friend, who I was talking about this with, also, like, her favorite Nolan film is Tenet. So, like, there, okay. there is, like, there is this thing where Nolan's moving in this direction. And Fincher, to me, Gone Girl's my one of my favorite films of all time. I think it's a brilliant masterpiece. Uh, and then he made Mank, which I was okay, thought was okay. I liked it. Mm-hmm. And then he made this, which I, I liked. And it's just, like, it feels like... He has moved laterally in a way I don't entirely understand. Um, I agree he should be making studio movies, but also it yeah. feels like he went to Netflix because he couldn't get the movies he wanted to make made at studios. Obviously, Mank was never going to be made by a studio, but I'm baffled yeah. he couldn't get The Killer made anywhere. Yeah, I don't know that he even tried to make The Killer anywhere else is kind of my guess. I mean, I know that he went through years of development on the movie and and all of that. I guess you know what's really interesting to your point is that – the two films that Fincher and Nolan made that are the most sort of overtly, I guess I'm going to say heartfelt. Sure. Are there are ultimately the two films that were released at the time and disliked the most, which is Benjamin Button and Interstellar. Right. Which I, which I think is kind of funny, right? They, they make the two movies that they think the world wants them to make. And the world says, no, and then years years later is like actually you know what we were wrong and those movies are actually pretty good. You can go find my review of Interstellar from 2014 where I'm like very dismissive of it. Like I I liked it. I gave it three yeah. and a half out of five Same. stars. And yeah. I like, you, but you can feel me patting Chris Nolan on the head and being like, "Good work, little boy, you did it." And then I they earlier this year uh, in the run up to Barbenheimer, um, uh, the my local theater showed like all the Nolans, all the Gerwigs. I saw as many as I could because I wanted to like. Yeah. refresh myself and i went and saw interstellar because i was like so many people i know now just adore this I've, i love it I love i've it. like i haven't given it another shot i went and saw it. It's, i i like i cried the most i've ever cried at a movie and like it literally is just like the framing of now i have a child like just shifted that movie so much for me like or in the past i was like well yes i intellectually understand why it is bad why it is hard to leave your child and like you know for what decades uh and now i was like oh my god what if i you know didn't get to look at my baby every night so um it's i i it is probably the movie that i could point to the most over the last decade i would say mm-hmm. that i've turned around on the most sure the, a movie that i saw in the theater appreciated liked just fine and now i'm just like actually it's you know, top five nolan for me now but all this is to say that i i think you're absolutely right that that they are the yin and yang in a lot of ways mm-hmm. i mean fincher obviously uh or, or nolan embracing filmmaking like film tactile 
celluloid and the scope of making movies and his movies make a boatload of money so the studios are allowing him to do what he wants to do and then on the flip side you have fincher who is you know shockingly i don't know if you've heard this kind of a difficult guy to work Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. kind of a tough guy Mm -hmm. who has just very high expectations of his budgets and studios just look at his stuff and say like yeah no it, it it's but just he's like a key embrace digital really early and like loves it and does, he's i think the director who does the best at digital like i can't it's like him or no michael question. Mann, you know yes, yes. um i or uh, i think that uh what's his face uh kaczynski oh sure 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 this stuff looks really good. it's but yeah it's it's uh uh, you know, he's he's a, he's wonderful at what he does. I find his movies, even when I'm kind of alienated by them, I find them very comforting to watch. I find them very Absolutely. like I have a I have a, a, a Zodiac is one of my comfort watches, which I think we've talked about before. Um, <laughs> it's not it's like not a not a fun movie, to, but it yeah. is it is kind of a movie. I love existing within that headspace. Um, and uh, yeah, Gone Girl is my personality. And, um, you know, I, 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 the killer, even as much as like, I was like, kind of like, hey, this is fine. Like I definitely a movie I enjoyed living in while I was watching it. I do wonder if I feel more strongly about it. If I watched it in the theater, I watched it at home. I paid attention to it, but it's a movie that I think doesn't hold up great at home for some, for I, whatever reason. I totally agree. I I'll just say this, uh, one last thing about Fincher is and Zodiac in particular, um, I think Are you the Zodiac a, killer? Is, is, I'm not. We're going to break some news. Um, I think that part of why they're so comforting is that they're procedural, mm-hmm. um, right? Like it's it's watching someone do steps, right? It's why like I think Seven is probably a comfort movie for a lot of people as well, which is you're watching a thing get solved. Even if in theory the resolution isn't particularly quote-unquote satisfying, you're still watching an incremental thing. Um, which I think is it's why I think people love procedural television so much. They yeah. they love seeing people doing a thing. What's your number ten? Uh, I am almost sure that certain this is going to be higher on your list uh, because uh, this was in my top five for a long time, and I just started to slide a little bit. I suspect eventually it will be back in my top five, but for now it's my number ten. It's Asteroid City, the Wes Anderson film. It is higher on my list. Okay, great. Well, what's your number ten? Uh, it is something that you uh, alluded to earlier, which is Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Are you there, God? <laughs> it's me. I, God, yes. I. This is a movie that, and I think we talked about this. You talked about this a little bit. I can't remember on what episode we talked about James L. Brooks a little mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is one of those movies that I never read the book. I don't know if you've read the book. Have you? Read the I book? have. I've read the book. I've read a lot of Judy Bloom. Weirdly, and it's this book was obviously uh, much more our parents' generation. Um, sure. In terms of when it came out and why it was so kind of groundbreaking and why it was so important right. at the time, because uh, teenage girls were not talking about menstruation, teenage girls were not talking about puberty, and they weren't. These were things that were all kind of not talked about. Um, and then to infuse that with religion, which obviously is you know bold for the time. It's bold now, quite frankly, but it was bold then. Um, so I went into this kind of knowing nothing. I mm-hmm. knew of the book. Um, I, I kind of had a general sense of what it was about. Um, saw it in the theater. Did you see it in the theater? I did. Mm-hmm. I saw um, it. In, I saw it in the ideal theatrical circumstance, 
which, which was, is one row behind a bunch of 12 year old girls who got who come there with their moms and they open so the movie opens on on um mother's day weekend because mm-hmm. they thought this would be a big mother's day movie yeah um so my theater was packed with teenage girls and their moms as i'm assuming yours was as well mm-hmm. um which is the ideal way to see this movie mm-hmm. uh unfortunately it doesn't seem like america did that by and large yeah no so. i do think like this is this was a smart play in terms of like ip if you will because it's a beloved sure. book that's never been adapted but also i think it's just like it has not it is a beloved book by people over 30 you know i don't think it's it's lingered in the way that like even the like the ramona books have just use a sort of comparable sure. uh thing uh but yeah it, it it's it yeah please continue this was this was a movie that i felt um t- truly heartwarming mm-hmm. um the type of movie that just I mean, I I hate this phrase, but like they don't make movies like this anymore, and they kind of don't make movies like this anymore. Um, it, it is um, so genuine and heartfelt, and about the messiness of growing up. Um, it's it's trying to wrestle with big themes of religion and identity and what it means to um, come from a i don't want to say a broken home because it's not really a broken home yeah but it you know when, when the two parents that one of the best scenes in the movie is the is the scene when the daughter asks why um asks rachel mcadams why they don't see her parents mm-hmm. and she basically explains that her parents are like well i married a jewish person and i fell in love with a jewish person and they disowned me yeah. for lack of a better way of putting it um so all of that mixed in with this Margaret character who's trying to figure out who she wants to be, who she is. I just loved all of that. I would also say, like, Rachel McAdams is so fucking good in this movie and should have got an Oscar nomination. Um, I, it, it really – and you mentioned how this Best Supporting Actress this year is kind of yeah. a little wobbly. There was a window there for her to get a nomination, and it, I think it's a symptom of Lionsgate and, you know, just – the various kind of political machinations that go into an Oscar campaign that I don't think she got necessarily. I think um, I, I kind of agree with the, this head Oscar buzz guys, uh, their, their episode in the class of 2023, they were like, they, the Academy just didn't see this movie as an Oscar yes. movie. They were like, yes. this is a movie for girls and their moms. And that's nice and good for them. The WGA nominated it for adapted screenplay. So good for us. It should, I mean, it should have been nominated for best adapted screenplay. Like it, it should have been, I th- I look at the nominees for best adapted screenplay this year, and they're all doing Ooh, wrong. Like they're that's a movies, that's a hard like, category to 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 like. I uh, yeah, that that that's that's a tough category this year, especially once Barbie got moved there. You know, fair enough. But I all I'm saying is I think that I I, I agree with you 100 percent that this movie got kind of dismissed. Yeah. Um. I I and by the public and by the Academy as just oh yeah, I've heard of that book. First of all, it's got God in the title, which is going to be alienated to a lot of people that don't want to see a movie about God. Uh, so it's it, it had a lot of things working against it, which is a bummer. Um, but I think it's going to age incredibly well. Yeah, I think it's going to. It's, yeah. I do think like when I saw this the first time, I was like, this is a very nice four out of five. Um, Edge of 17, Kelly Freeman Craig's debut feature is one of my movies. I've seen that's I've seen that movie, movie a bunch of times. I love that movie. And I was like, this movie doesn't match up to that one. But it it really stuck in my head 
in a way I was surprised by. As I was doing my letterbox rankings, I'd like that's how I know if a movie stuck with me. I was always like, this is this is staying in the bottom half of my 10. Like I just I can't quite shake it. And other movies that I had higher kept like sort of dropping down. Uh, I re I rewatched it with with my wife a couple weeks ago on on the television. And it just mm-hmm. like it just is it it's uh it's just a nice great movie i do think like one of the things that kept this movie from being embraced by you know like the movie talk folks the people like like attendance on movies like this has actually gone up a little bit this year and a lot of that is being uh driven by younger people which is great but a movie like this where the central conflict is what's going to be my religion i think is utterly alienating to a ton of people who are like younger than us um, totally and honestly, to a lot of people our age, it does not like what is my religion going to be is like not as prominent a question in our culture anymore. Um, that said, uh, I we're, there's, there's going to be this new casting Oscar uh, in 2026. This uh, is the movie I would give that award this year. Um, I think Kathy Bates is a little miscast, but I think every other role in the movie is perfectly cast. Uh, and they had to find like like 17 prepubescent kids and like oh fucking great what a hard age to cast great great casting uh i know that if they had a casting oscar oscar would just go to oppenheimer or barbie which are both impeccably cast and full of actors you love but this is a movie that's like working in a budget and nails Mm -hmm. every role well that's uh, you you just said it like oppenheimer and barbie the world's your oyster right like you've got an you can cast anybody you want because you have a budget to do whatever you want uh when you look at a movie like this i i agree with you i think this movie is incredibly well cast um yeah i just i watched it again with uh with my roommate who had not, who had not seen it um and i think she liked it and i don't know that she loved it we didn't really talk about it that much but um i just i don't know it, it, it it's it's just a movie that makes you feel good right um and and i and I know that that sounds ridiculous, but as we as we talk about these films, as we get down to our top ten, um, I don't know that that's, I'm looking at my list and it's like it's not filled with movies that make me feel good. I mean, it's so. I I feel good about all of mine. They all make me yeah, feel great. Okay. Uh, okay. The uh, no, I. <laughs> I, I actually, to return to Rachel McAdams, for most of the yes. year, people have been like, she needs to be nominated. And I was like, I guess so. Like, I was not, like, totally on that train. I was like, she's better than a lot of options, to be fair. Uh, and then I, when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, she's just kind of nailing every moment. And she is. I think if I sat down and made my list, I don't know if she would make it, but that's because a lot of weird-ass people would be on my list. But, like, she would be right there. She's great. She should She should have been nominated I don't know what Jodie Foster's doing there. Out of there. I haven't seen that movie. Maybe it's genius. Oh, oh you haven't seen Nyad? Get out of there, Jodie. To watch Nyad. I need to hear I need to hear Emily's thoughts on Nyad. Uh I actually think I will probably like it just fine. It's I fine. like those filmmakers. I like water. So listen, that movie's for you. Uh I I'll say this just uh one last thing on on Rich McAdams and just the movie by and large. And I think that this is something that I think uh you and I probably bump up against a fair amount when it comes to our favorite movies is mm-hmm. um the noise factor mm-hmm. uh you know this is just not a noisy movie no. um I, I think that quiet movies in our current you know movie landscape get discarded i, I mean even even like and we're, i'm sure we're going to talk about may december a movie that like seemed noisy and then kind of wasn't like it's just one of those things where um i get frustrated by 
these bigger movies kind of swallowing these quieter movies and that's just a bummer as much as i love the the 10 the 10 best picture nominees it has become a situation where members of the academy kind of only see those 10 movies and then maybe five others so there's just like less of an interesting spread and maybe that was always the case maybe if we went back and had top tens of all those years we would see that the same thing was happening but it does feel to me like there's a much more limited universe of movies we're drawing from um uh, and i think you know in 2008 uh rachel mcadams might have been nominated um she probably wouldn't have played this role when she was like 28 but you know I mean, Maybe. not that not that you and I would have any reason to talk about this at any point in the future. But if you look at 2009, which is the first year where they do expand to 10, it actually is a relatively interesting. That's a quietly wild year. Yeah, wild. Right. And I think it's because it was the first time they got 10. It's like and now they've become complacent with the 10 the 2003 oscars are the first after they shift to like a tighter calendar those are similarly wild and then the studios figure out how to play the game and it just becomes kind of even down yeah what is your nine well phil i think this might be your number one so i think we're going to be talking about later it is uh skinamarink which i know you loved I know you were just totally... still haven't seen Skin of Marink yet, Emily. Uh you you know what? You would see that movie and be like, "No, what the fuck? What the fuck?" Like it's not even like I don't I don't think you would like it's uh, to me it's the most terrifying film I've ever seen. You would see it and be like, "Emily, that is a shot of a wall for like twenty minutes. Uh, what is happening here?" Um, uh, I'm Canadian glad- filmmaking. I'm glad I saw it in a theater because I was trapped with it. Um, I spent the whole movie like wanting to check my watch because I wanted to know how much was left. I was like, I think that I'm, I think that this movie is maybe just not quite for me. And then I left the theater and I was shaking uncontrollably. So it is. It had an impact on you. It is a hard watch. Mm-hmm. It is a, uh, especially if you are a queer person or uh, an abuse survivor, um or just you grew up in a house where like you were like constantly trying to not to predict your parents moods which is a form of abuse sure. but less of one that we think of as a form of abuse um it is uh yeah it, it's about two kids who uh suddenly all the doors and windows in their house disappear and they're just trapped in there their parents aren't there but there is a force that's just like kind of stalking sure. them and they don't know who it is you see uh, faces in this movie, I think, three times. It's mostly shots of, of, of like, furniture, walls, the backs of people's heads. It's all done with a very lo-fi, grainy aesthetic. It is shot to seem like a found footage movie without having any explanation of where this footage is coming from. Okay. Uh, it, is, it is, like, shot as though it is being filmed on, like, a camcorder from 1986, all the technical aspects of this movie are kind of brilliant because I'm guessing they made it for five bucks, but like they made it look so distinctive that like even if you hate it, you're never going to forget it. And it's my favorite kind of movie, which is you go on Letterboxd and it's all five stars and one stars. And there's like not really a lot in between uh, except for uh, uh, David Sims, who gave it three and a half and gave, has like my favorite review of it, which is like, if this were me, I would simply leave. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> 
but it's uh, i mean i do think that sums you up perfectly of uh five star or one star that's just that's yeah. just where you live <laughs> and i like watched this movie and was like i just don't think it's working i just don't think it's working and i left the theater and was like that was the best film i've ever seen like it just like that was like the, I don't the even know what to make of the that. journey i went on with it and like uh obviously it's number nine on my list so it wasn't the best film i've ever seen but like i am so glad i saw this movie i'm so glad i had this experience i think it is almost necessary to see it in a theater so you can't look away from it i think at home it would just start to like drip off of you i would love to see what you made of it and you need to support your fellow canadians so one of these days i'll watch it you know when you describe it it does make me think a little bit and i i loathe to make this comparison but there is kind of a lynchian Mm -hmm. uh vibe to it in terms of um i just rewatched mulholland drive right um which spoiler still a fucking masterpiece which i adore um i finally watched my 4k criterion and it looked absolutely exquisite um but there is a fair amount of pov uh camera work in that movie uh and lynch does pov stuff in general uh, which forces you into literally the the eyes of the protagonists um and the the let's be real the horrors that they're seeing mm-hmm. um and the 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 moments he chooses to do that are so specific. Um, And it seems as though this film is tapping into that in a lot of ways too. I just got a 4k player. Mm. And the only, the only 4k disc I have is Oppenheimer because they sent it to all the WGA members, I think. Sure. Sure. And uh, I put it on and I was like, I don't, this might be too real for me. Like this might like the the clarity might be too much. It's really crisp. I was like, is this motion smoothing? And then I went and made sure motion smoothing was off. And it was, it's just very, very Sharp. clear uh yeah. skin would not benefit from a 4k transfer uh i don't know what that would even look like um but i think it is i think it is a, a movie that is is worth seeing i think it's worth grappling with i think it is if you hate it i'm like yeah sure sounds great but i also think it is worth like trying right. i think it is worth trying to like even if it's I, I it's the movie on my list where I'm the most like no one, but this movie is for no one, but me and six other people. But like, it, it's so much for me. So anyway, it's, it's my, it's my toys is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I'm sorry <laughs> to talk about it when I know it's going to be your number one. So uh, it's okay. what, what's your number so, nine? So my number nine uh, is Maestro. Okay. Not on my list. I, I like it. Not on your list. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, it, my journey with Maestro is kind of interesting insofar as that, uh, went to see it in theaters. It played at the Egyptian here. Um, mm. And I saw it with some friends and we left the theater. We were all uh, kind of over the moon about it. We were, we left the theater and we were like, well, Carrie Mulligan's got a lock. It's done. It's over. Carrie Mulligan wins best actress. Mm-hmm. Obviously now that is not the case, mm-hmm. um, but we, we were all kind of blown away by it. Um, and then it kind of disappeared a little bit from my brain. Right. You know, all the other Oscar contenders started to come out. I was flooded with all the other movies that came out. Um, and then I went home for the holidays and my stepmother had not seen it and mm-hmm. she wanted to watch it. So I watched it with her. Um, I, I want to say on like Christmas Eve or some shit like that. I don't remember. Um, and was like, oh, right. I really, really like this movie. Like it, it, it kind of all sort of, it all kind of came back to me. I, I think that I just... Um, I really appreciate Bradley Cooper as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. not something that I ever thought I would say, but it's the truth. Um, I love how impressionistic this movie is. I love how strange it is. Um, it, it's 
clearly a movie that was, and I don't want to say like found in the editing room because that sounds derogatory, but I do think that um, there was clearly a lot of footage that was shot and there was a lot of stuff that was shuffled and a lot of kind of, and it was sort of found in that process, which is not a bad thing. Lots of movies are found in the editing room. Lots of wonderful movies are found in the editing room. Um, this podcast is found in the editing room. Yes, exactly. I, I think the two of them are fantastic. I think I think the whole cast is pretty great. Um, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about biopics in general. Um, I'm not usually the biggest fan of it because it usually feels like greatest hits shit. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, sure. Um, this movie's desperately trying not to do that. And in the process, I think is alienating some people because if you don't know anything about him, which I didn't, quite frankly, yeah, the movie doesn't teach you anything about him. I knew enough. I knew quite a bit about him actually because he. I, I'm I'm a Broadway. I'm a Broadway yeah. fan, yeah, yeah. and like he sure. did a lot of work on Broadway. But like sure. I didn't really know about his classical music uh, career. You know, I didn't know anything about his marriage. I think what sure. is alienating people about this film, which I like, I it's not in my top. It's probably in my top thirty somewhere. It's not in my top twenty, obviously. But sure. uh is uh what I what I what I think is alienating people is it's kinda neither fish nor fowl. It is simultaneously not a traditional womb to tomb biopic, but also it's really not a more specific, like it is kind of about their marriage, but also just like it's like just not enough about that to like make you feel like you're missing something. You know, if it was really just about this complicated marriage between two people who uh, their sexuality was like not always in sync um, like that is. uh, And one one thing I've like kind of resisted with this movie is how people are describing Bernstein as a gay man. When I think it's like I think the film does make a pretty good argument for him being bi. Like he he clearly was attracted to certain women. Um, I think. It's uh yeah, but I do I do think like it is a thing that people are frustrated by because it is not wholly adhering to one thing or another. Um, I think that is one of the things that's good about it, and I also think it's why I kind of haven't thought about it since I saw it. You know, and that's totally fair. I I agree with Except you 100%. for Snoopy, best support. He's my best Who supporting actor. The yeah, um, I you know I. I agree with you 100%. I think what I like about it is that it is, quote unquote, neither fish nor fowl. Um, I I understand why this movie didn't connect with the larger audience. I'm also not surprised. I mean, it did pretty well at the Oscars in terms of nominations. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's going to win anything. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a, you know, I think there was a brief moment when it felt like maybe it was Bradley versus Killian. uh, And now it feels like it's uh, Paul Giamatti versus Killian. Yeah, it definitely, I really was like when this first showed, wherever it showed, it was like, oh, okay, well, Bradley Cooper's going to win. Everyone was saying that. And then like, Yeah. yeah, people just didn't love this movie enough for any of that to happen. And, and I think also, you know, this was brought up um, by Griffin and David when they were talking about Barbara Streisand and on their Maestro episode as well. But just sort of that, um, the, he wants an Oscar. <laughs> there, there is a, yeah. a sweatiness to the fact that he wants an Oscar, and we don't do that anymore. Um, and back in the day, that would be okay. And now people are like, Bradley, chill the fuck out. Like you'll get it when you get it. And I kind of like that about it. It is one. It's just like it, you know? it is like that. Paul Newman didn't win one for a long time. Uh, Tom Cruise hasn't. It's because they were so handsome. And I do think that he has that kind of hand. Totally. And like he's handsome and talented. And people are like, "Well, you don't need anything else right now." Which um, is funny, since like you know Mel Gibson, Kevin yeah. Costner. Like the list is Robert Redford. The list is long of like 
hot guys they've given it to. I do think there is a certain quality where, like, if he just went and made, like, a fucking Transformers movie, like, I think that, and he, like, made a really good Transformers movie, I think people would appreciate his filmmaking talents more, if that makes sense. so fucking ridiculous, but it's true. And, like, um... I I was not a huge Star is Born fan. Again, I liked it, but it was like a movie I had a lot of problems with. I liked this movie a lot more. Uh, this movie convinced me, like, yeah, he's he's got he's got something to him. I but I do want to see him kind of like break out of his comfort zone, which is weird because his comfort zone is like middle brow Oscar movies. <laughs> I want to see him make either like something very small or something you know that's that's more of a in the blockbuster mold to just like see what those muscles look like. You know, I, I hear that. I mean, I, I do think that. You know, it is strange that like Licorice Pizza didn't happen for him, mm-hmm. that he didn't even get a nomination for it. I know. Uh is is bizarre. Uh playing fucking John Peters of all like everything about it just felt like, oh, the Academy's gonna like I think they just got a weird bee in their bonnet for this guy. I just don't think that they that they want him to do something to maybe to your point. They want him to do something really weird. I think that I think the discourse killed Licorice Pizza. I think it just like became a movie oh, yeah. uh, that people uh, only knew through controversy, uh, which is I think a thing we're going to be talking about with another movie on mm-hmm. at least one of our lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like uh, how sometimes people are not aware of what the discourse is about, but they're aware it exists, and they're just like, "Well, that movie's controversial. I shouldn't vote for it." And I feel like that kind of happened too. Um, I think Paul Pizza. Thomas Anderson is also a guy that they're making jump through hoops yeah. in a way that is a little odd. I th- it's going to be like weird when he finally wins because it'll just be for like some movie where it'll be like when Scorsese won for The Departed, which like I like The Departed more than you do, but it is very much like okay, I guess. And that was like it a, is yeah, it, it is strange like that that Paul Thomas Anderson is is being forced to do this thing for them in a weird way because I, I do think that like mm-hmm. he's made. Come on. How many movies now? I like how the rumor has been like, well, he's working for his next movie. He's working with a bigger budget. It's much more commercial. And then everything we've seen of it is like, it's probably a Thomas Pynchon adaptation with Leo as like a homeless person. You're like, oh, this is commercial? I guess because it has Leo in it. I don't know. I I mean, listen, I'm as excited as anybody to see what this hundred million plus uh, Warner Brothers movie with Leo. And I don't know. But I mean, listen. It's going to be something. As we know, Zaslav picks hits. (laughs) There's also the whole, like, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon thing, too, which is weird. Have you heard this conspiracy theory? No. Um, There is a a theory that um, the reason that it didn't get nominated for Adapted Screenplay is because Paul Thomas Anderson wrote most of the draft that ultimately became the movie. Um, Now, I don't know... Yeah, I know. I, I I don't know if there's any legitimacy to it, and I, you know, it's it's just you know, it is what it is. But to be fair, Paul is... Thomas Anderson does like movies about one spouse slowly poisoning another spouse, but he thinks that's romantic. Right? So he does. I mean, it's true. I, I mean, I, I'm assuming we'll talk about Killers of the Flower Moon at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that uh, there is this weird sort of Paul Thomas Anderson thing. I just find it really funny because like Tarantino and him have been on sort of parallel tracks in terms of like their, the crestings of their careers and what have you. And I know that Tarantino is much more popular. I know that Tarantino hits the zeitgeist harder and all that sort of stuff, but it's crazy to me that Tarantino has 
two Academy Awards for, for screenplay and that Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't have any is just sort of bizarre to me. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's it's what it is. I don't know. I mean, I, like, I, 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 Paul Thomas Anderson is, like, a, one of my faves. Uh, it took me a long time to warm up to him. I'm not the world's biggest There Will Be Blood fan. Um, I, but The Master was the movie that made me be like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's still my favorite. I that's think that's his best movie. Right it really yeah. is. Um, but uh, what is your what is your eight? What is my eight? Well, it's The Master by Paul Thomas. No, <laughs> um, uh, my number eight. I don't think you've seen this one. Of the movies on my list that uh, you haven't seen, this is the one where I'm like, well, Phil's got to see this. This is some Phil mm. shit. You're going to like mm. cry. You're going to like weep. And okay. if you have seen it and you're like, it was fine, I'm going to be so disappointed in myself. Um, it's uh, uh, A Thousand and One. I have not seen this one. Uh, it is. I saw I, your Letterbox review of it. I watched I it. Intend to watch I rewatched it. it last night. I had watched it earlier, but I was not really paying attention. But I was like, this is like, I should be like paying more attention to this. But like, uh, it is uh, kind of a masterpiece. Not okay. quite. Like, it, I think it has some issues. I think generally, I think it's one of those movies where like, they had enough money to uh, cast one well-known actor, and then there's it's, it's a bunch of, of other players, most of whom are fantastic, but there's like a couple weak links where you're like, okay, sure. they, they didn't, you know, but, um, oh my God, this movie is uh, novelistic in the way we think about, you know, it is, it's told over like 20 some years. Um, it's a story of the, not 20, it's like, it's like, oh, it's over a decade. Um, and it's the story of this like, relationship between this mother and this son and how it changes as he grows older um it's set in a gentrifying new york it's about um uh black a black woman and her son who live in harlem and you watch harlem change around them you watch the like corporate storefronts go up you see like the faces get whiter and whiter around them and it's like they made this movie for pennies and that they were able to tell a story with this kind of sweep and scope uh is astonishing to me um but yet it's just a movie about this relationship between these two people and how it changes and how they sort of sublimate pieces of themselves for each other um it's um yeah it feels like it's based on a book even though it's not it just has that quality that literary quality to it um uh, uh, the big complaint against this movie is you don't learn anything about the characters but i th i think you do you learn about them through watching them and through their externality they don't have the moments where they give the big monologue but like sure. they make really bold choices and this movie makes bold choices um it's also i think if i if i gave oscars out like if i had winners it would be my score winner the score is oh, okay impeccable and this is a good year for scores um yeah it's uh I i'm so fucking excited to see uh where everybody involved in this movie goes from here i mean tayana taylor who's the lead in it is uh you know has justifiably been nominated for indie spirit award for her performance uh but director av rockwell um i cannot wait to see what she does next this is like the kind of movie that like just just keeps getting me hype about movies i mean jesus yeah adding it to my queue yeah right i think now. you will really love it i do I, i'm very excited i i, I when I saw your letterbox review of it, I was like, I feel like I heard about this movie. It, it kind of popped up a little bit in my fucking social media ecosphere, what have you, but it, it just, I just didn't see it. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It won the Sundance prize. It was okay. this thing where that and past lives both played. They were both by, uh, they were both debut films from women of color that had already been picked up by distributors. So they weren't getting sold. 
and past lives. This is a thing that they talked talked about on this is Oscar. This had Oscar buzz. Every year we're like, here's the debut film that we're going to reward, and that this year that was past lives, which is fantastic and is higher on my list. But this movie also should have been rewarded. This movie is so good, and Tayana Taylor is so good. And uh, it's uh, it's a real shame that uh, it, it just was like completely ignored. Uh, I will watch it. Yes, I promise you that. I uh, want you to my, text me what you think of it. I will. Do. Uh, my number eight is the aforementioned Killers of the Flower Moon, which I think is probably higher on your list. Uh, slightly. Yes. Okay. So let's move uh, what on. Is, what is your seven? Uh, it's going to be higher on your list. My number seven is Past Lives. It by is. Celine, Celine Song. All right. Okay. Uh, my number seven is higher on your list. Okay. Uh, it is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Oh, good old Oppie. Yeah, he's he's higher uh, on my Oppie's list. Oppie's higher. Uh, what's your six? Look at us go. This is this episode is breezing by. My number six is Killers of the Flower Moon. So let's talk about it. This was in my top five for a long time, and then I was like, I have, I was like, this comes down to like seven movies for me uh, that sure. need to be in my top five, and there's only five spots, <laughs> and. I just kind of squeezed this one out. It's uh, I like, here's the thing about this movie. It, it made me feel like shit. Uh, it's yeah. a punishing watch. There are so many valid complaints about it that I think people have raised that I listen to. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and yet also the complaints are kind of the point of the movie mm-hmm. um, in particular. And I'm saying this as an extremely white person. The fact that it is not centered on Osage perspectives has really been, um, I mean, the first the first half kind of is. The first half is kind of about the Molly character, Lily Gladstone. And then the second half, she's confined to bed because they're kind of like trapped by the historical record where she nearly died because her husband was poisoning her slowly. But like your point of like your protagonist is this cruel white man who is in who's uh, in a trapped in an abusive relationship with his uncle that leads him to uh, kill a bunch of people. And in the book, this is based on the book is fantastic nonfiction in the book. This is based on, it's a twist that he's, he's been involved in it from the first, because the book does a similar thing where you're kind of in Molly's perspective. And then you're in the perspective of uh, the Jesse Plemons character. Yeah. And like what I think Scorsese realized pretty smartly is if you center this on the fbi agent it's a white savior narrative and like people are not gonna even though that's what happened this guy this like the one good white man came in and was like who was alive in 19 whatever it was came in and was like well we got to solve this and like his investigation was very fascinating and all this like i think scorsese was right like to make this a movie about sort of the corrosiveness of whiteness the ways that being a white person in america often forces can force you into situations where you're complicit but also just like asks you to be complicit and sometimes you're like okay um i think this movie like the fact that it doesn't center the osage perspective is the correct one i would love to see a movie about these events told from that perspective um i think honestly a a limited series would be better in that regard because again you have the problem of your main point of view character molly it's like then she goes to then is stuck in bed and it's like a hard thing to write around i don't know i i think this movie this movie made me feel like shit, but it's so conceptually fascinating to me that I can't help but love it. Uh, and that's uh, the Emily St. James story. Yeah, I mean, I, you know. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I think that there was so much kind of buildup to this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you mentioned that smartly they they recalibrated the script and recalibrated the the, the story yeah um and obviously the movie's better off for it um in the same you know in the same breath uh it scared the shit out of paramount and yeah. they were just like we don't want to make this movie anymore yeah uh so apple you know swoops in and saves the day and and puts you know 200 million dollars into this project that is so much movie is the other thing mm-hmm. like it's three and a half hours it's there's so much in it it's brimming with ideas and performances and and technical mastery that you kind of it's hard to process it all mm-hmm. um it, it's 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 dense it's complicated it's funny and violent and sad and romantic and like it's just it's doing so much that i think um a lot of people didn't really know what to do with it you know right and to the point of like you know the script of this movie which i am i firmly believe scorsese and roth wrote yes is i do think like it is such a smart movie in terms of how it centers the marriage it is a movie about marriage it is a movie about did this dumb asshole love his wife that is the central question of this film (laughs) but the way that they use that symbolically to talk about america to talk about racism to talk about all of these issues and it's also just about these two people is like masterful screenwriting to me um the last the end of this movie is probably my favorite ending of the year it is such a smart way to end this film and to be like I, Martin Scorsese, am aware of my shortcomings, but also I'm the guy who can get this movie made. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to feel about that? And all of the literally him. Yeah. Like literally, physically All him. of the discourse around this movie oh, is the point of the movie, and I fucking love – I fucking love that. And yet if you're if you're, you know, gonna say I didn't like this movie because I thought Scorsese was didn't tell it in a good way, you know, I thought he did he didn't, you know, whatever, I'm not gonna disagree with you because I think the movie agrees with you, which is the fascinating thing about it. The movie is like, yes, you are right to not want to see to like me. Yeah, it's it's even in the interviews that he did, and he did a lot of interviews for this movie, um, which is uncommon for him. Mm-hmm. Part of it was because there was a actors and writers strike going on. Yeah. Um, so he became kind of the face and the voice of the movie. And when you see all those interviews with him, you can see that he's pretty understanding of the fact that like, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be me telling this story, but it's me telling this story for all the reasons that, 
X, Y, and Z exists within the movie. It's it's all it's 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 a brilliantly meta movie about American history and about just just the the horrible things that people have done in this country. But um, so we're at number six. We are correct. Six, six. I have Barbie. Okay, let's do it. Uh, is she on your list? Uh, no. Wow. Okay. Uh, she's on uh, my honorable mentions. Okay. But, yeah. You know, you sound so disappointed. No, 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 no. I'm not disappointed. I'm I'm just trying to figure out how to. It's. I, I think that this. It, it is so interesting to me how this film has become a flashpoint. Sure. Um. In so many different ways, uh, you know, I I watched this again before. I specifically watched this again. I watched some of these movies again just to see where they fell in my range. Sure, sure. And I and should I, say, and, I should say, this is the 2023 movie I've seen the most times. I I saw it three times because I saw it once on my own because I was going to write a piece on it. And then like people were like, "Let's go see Barbie," and I'd be like, "Okay," because Barbie's a good time. I was never going to like say no. So sure, sure. I so I watched it again because I saw it twice in the theater uh, around the time that it came out, and then. I didn't watch it again. There were a, a million screenings that I either signed up for with Q and A's with various people that I wanted to see talk about it. And ultimately just kind of for reasons life happened and I didn't see it again. And I was like, I definitely want to watch this again before we talk about it uh, or before we talk about our favorite films of the year. Cause I was like, is this going to hold up <laughs> after all the think pieces and all the backlash and the Oscar nominations and the blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm going to hit play on this thing and I'm worried that it's not going to hold up. And it, it thankfully gloriously did for me. Mm -hmm. Um, This time round, I was really hit with the fact that it's a movie about a guy who loves a girl who does not love him back. Mm -hmm. Um, That, that there is uh, so much going on in this movie and, and yes, it's fucking based on a toy line and, and, and there's any number of people that just cannot get on board with a movie of this subject matter or tone having anything substantive to say, you know, I, I know that there are people that find uh, America's speech at the end, cringy and cloying and handholdy and all sorts of things. You're talking to um, one of them. And that's fine. Yeah. I, I like um, to, to be clear, I think she delivers it brilliantly I think both Gerwig and Bombach are aware of the limitations of that speech. So I'm like more annoyed by the discourse. Of the <laughs> that I'm truth be told, I'm kind of annoyed about the discourse and Barbie period. Mm. Um, and, and part of it is because the movie made almost, you know, one and a half billion dollars. Sure. Um, it, it was a, a phenomenon at a level that no one could have predicted really. Um, every time I hear Greta talk about it, either in Q and A's or in interviews or what have you, um, I think she's painfully aware of how this movie sort of hit a vein and became, it's not even about the movie anymore in so many ways. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really do think that I think the movie's going to age. Well, I think that as we get farther away from it and farther away from the, the phenomenon that it became, the more people hopefully will just be able to enjoy the film for what it is. Um but I get it. I do. And and listen, as a person who fully engaged in Barbenheimer, went to see both of them in the same day, saw Barbie first, then saw Oppenheimer. I love both of these films. 
Um, I think that ultimately when push comes to shove, Barbie is just a more enjoyable ride for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of like what it has to say more than what Oppenheimer has to say. But again, like we're talking fucking inches here. Like I love both these films. Uh, I don't like being entertained. Um, <laughs> we know that. Uh, Barbie is my favorite Greta Gerwig film. I think it's wow. There's okay. like stuff. I, I I was thinking about this earlier. There's some filmmaker. I was thinking about some person I know their relationship to a filmmaker I love where they just can't get there. I just can't get there with her. There's a thing about her movies okay. that like holds me back. Barbie's my favorite. Uh, I I really do. I think the last ten minutes. I watched this movie and spent like an hour and a half being like, I'm I'm laughing a fair bit. I'm having a good time. I don't think the themes of this movie work at all. And then the last ten minutes, I was like, okay, okay, I see what we're doing here. Those those kind of transcend everything the movie's doing. I think it's. I think it's gender politics are kind of awful as a trans person. They're extremely binary in a way that I think is intentional because it's based on a toy line. It's based on Barbie and Ken. Like there's, there's certain elements of it that they, that they can't escape, but also once they get to the real world, it's very much like boys are like this and girls are like this, not in like a reductive way necessarily, but in a way that is like, Pointing to aspects of the patriarchy that I thought we were all aware of in 2013. And yet, the fact that, like, this movie has been received by people as though it is saying bold new things is, like, obviously, you know, things have not changed. So we still, like, need to have these conversations. Anyway, the point is, the last 10 minutes are just, like, kind of about what it means to be human. And I think they're the best filmmaking Gerwig's ever done. I think I think Margot Robbie is fantastic in those moments. I wouldn't nominate her for best actress, but if she had been, like I think those last 10 minutes are like really nailed down everything this movie's going for. Rhea Perlman plays God, a thing that we all want to see happen. And uh I don't know. I I I love I love a lot of the stuff in this movie and it never like like it doesn't quite cohere for me, but god those last 10 minutes are are fantastic. I I absolutely hear what you're saying and I and I don't necessarily disagree i i do think that this time around when i watched the last time i was actually really kind of hit with margot's performance (laughs) she's great Mm -hmm. um there is a there is a subtlety to the transformation of barbie's character that's going the arc of that character that i think specifically gets lost like when i went to see it the first time with all my friends, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Gosling. Right? Oh, like, yeah. All we could talk about was him because his performance is so funny. Uh, it's it's so winning. Uh, he's all fucking in. And he kind of swallows Barbie. Mm-hmm. And then if you watch the film, if you watch the film multiple times, which I know you have, her performance yes. becomes a lot more paramount. For sure. And you start to really see sort of the gradation of what they're doing with and, her. Yeah. And to be clear, me not nominating her yeah, is yeah. not a, a, a besmirch on her. She's like in my top 10. That is a fucking terrible category to pick five people from this year. Absolutely. It's, yeah. she, Absolutely. They're like, there's so many amazing female performances this year, oh, which totally. is great. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, listen, obviously we could talk about Barbie all day long and I don't want to do that, but I'll just say that I do think there's another film uh, coming up that also hits on some similar themes for me. Sure. Um, and so we'll talk about it a little bit more. It's, uh, but what is your number five? Uh, wouldn't it be funny if it was Barbie? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's not. Uh, uh, my number five is Anatomy of a Fall, um, mm-hmm. which I uh, I don't know. Where do you talk about complicated marriage movies? Killing your spouse. Interesting that I have this and Killers of the Flower Moon right next to each other. I hadn't thought about that until right now, and actually have another complicated marriage movie coming up very soon. Actually, do all of my top six have complicated marriages in them? No, one does not. I mean, it has a marriage in it, but I wouldn't say it's complicated. Um, uh, yeah, this is uh, God and Past Lives is my number seven. The, this is what I'm into this year. That and the Skin of a Rink. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, uh, Anatomy of the Fall is just like that. Is the movie? You know, sometimes I'm a little bit normy. And for me, I can't believe I'm saying this about a French film that's in multiple languages. Seriously? But for me, that was my norm core choice this year. Because in most ways, it's just a really well-done courtroom drama. It is just like meat and potatoes. You could have made this in 1993. People probably would have liked it just as well then. But I think the thing that gives it uh, just an extra twist is like this element um, you know, this element that I think gives Barbie its extra twist, this element of like, what is like, how do you, how does this system perceive a woman and how does it like try to sort of reject a woman as like uh, 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 an invasive species in a weird way? Um, also, uh, it teaches you a lot about how they do court things in France and it's Which is crazy. fucking crazy because you could just be like, I'm talking to you now. And you're like, I don't want to be talked to you like you have to because we're in court and you're like, I'm going to talk to you and you're it's like, a Whoa. free for all it's, it's amazing nuts. it's so honestly it's so apparently that we have a similar system in louisiana because louisiana has oh, so God. much french influence sure. it's so dramatic i can't believe we haven't made a show that's like about courts in new orleans that's so just like and now i'm talking to you because it's Isn't that what ncis was about ncis, no, NCIS is about solving crimes I'm kidding. I'm kidding. phil <laughs> let's do this let's sell uh let's sell louisiana law uh, and uh, anyway, uh, I would want, yeah, let's do it. Anatomy of a Fall. The basic idea is this woman's husband dies. She's the only one in the house with him. Uh, and the question is, did he fall? Did he jump? It's she. He basically falls on the ground and and dies from blunt force trauma to the head. Sure. Did he, he fall? Pushed? Did, did he, he fall? fall did he jump? Was he pushed? Yeah. And the movie is just like so intricate and in untangling all these threads. You go into it and you're like, well, there's no way she did this. She's the protagonist of the movie. Then it introduces doubt in your brain. You're like, maybe she did. And then it's like, no, there's no way she did. Like, is this journey you go on? And yet the movie never conclusively tells you one way or the other what happened. Uh, and then just like it has one of the great child performances. That oh kid God, is incredible. phenomenal. Nominated. And then. It has the best dog performance I've ever seen. Ever seen. It's an amazing dog performance. It took like two years to get the dog to do what that dog does. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And Sandra Huller, um, who was nominated for an Oscar for this, is is absolutely phenomenal. But I do think like uh, everyone in this movie is great. Uh, Justine Triette, uh, that script is so smart about the ways that marriages become rancid. Even, you know, if you're trying, they can just turn rancid on you in a flash. Um, she wrote it with her her partner, which uh, is wonderful. Which is, yeah, no, listen, uh, this Libby and I aspire to this sort of thing. 
Uh, no, relationship I just, goals. And you know what? Uh, if you were of the movies I have in my top five, if you ask me, Emily, what do you love about that movie? I would be like, this is the, and this is the one I just can't quite pin down. It's just I got under my skin and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I'm so glad it it exists. I, great movie. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I um, so I went to see it uh, in the theater, and I knew it was two and a half hours long. So like, yeah. it's a long movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't feel it necessarily, no. but at the same time, like, it was a long movie. So I was like preparing myself for a long movie. Um, and I saw it, and I really liked it, and it's just really hung with me. Is yeah. the thing about it? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's you know. It's not as high on my list. I had it at fourteen, um, but I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I continue to. I want to rewatch it. Um, the 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 kid who plays her son is is unbelievable. Yes. Um, and and what what his journey is through the film is incredible. Um, you know, I think it's also really funny that it's like it's a movie about did she do it or not uh-huh. and yet it's very much not yeah. like when you think it, it, it the, the, the question of the film is not that really yeah. when everything is said and done right which i think is also a fascinating and bold choice the question of the film is can regardless of whether she did this or not can she get a fair shake in a system that is a biased against women and b biased against non-french speakers <laughs> which is great um, I, I'm a, I'm a huge nerd for sound design because of working on Arden as long as I did. I like think about this a lot. The sequence in this movie that everybody has justifiably praised of the husband and wife fighting and all they have is a recording and you start by listening to it in court with all these people around and then you cut to them talking, but you're still always hearing the recording. It's never in the moment. It's just such a bold sound design choice. Amazing. And uh, then at the moment when you need to know what happened, it cuts back to the court and you're like, mm-hmm. don't actually get to see it. it, it yeah. That that scene alone, I think, is why this movie's so high on my list. It's so I good. mean, it's it's incredible, as is the horns uh, version of yes. uh, 50 Cents. Yeah. <laughs> that I swear to you, they play so much in the first third of the film that it was going around in my head. I was just like, I can't get this out of my head, which is yeah. ultimately what they want. Did, but you loved it. Did you watch David Ehrlich's um, top 25? Obviously. Uh, when he marries uh, Ryan Gosling singing Push to uh, the the guy falling out of the house in this movie. Perfection. It's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. Uh, my number five is, uh, you mentioned it earlier, it's Kelly Reichardt's Showing Up. Oh, Showing Up. Yes. Um, a movie that, uh, you know, it's so funny. During the pandemic, I I uh, did a, a deep dive into Kelly Reichardt. Uh, I, I had not love seen, Kelly Reichardt. Yeah. Absolutely adore her work now. I had not seen any of her films. Um, I watched, because uh, First Cow came out, which was, we were supposed to see First Cow we together. We were supposed to see First and Cow. Then the yeah. happened, the and then the pandemic happened. And it stopped. We were going to um, see it at the Arclight. I know. I know. R.I.P. R.I.P. Is it this was, coming yeah. back? The Arclight? Who the fuck knows? Okay. At some point. Who knows? Maybe. Hopefully. Um, but uh, so First Cow was my uh, entree into her work, I mm-hmm. think. Maybe I saw, I might have seen certain women before it, but it doesn't matter. Point is, I watched basically all of her films during the pandemic and was just absolutely floored by her work. Mm-hmm. Um, just, again, sort of, as we talked about, quiet, intimate, small, 
indie yeah. filmmaking um, with mostly f- female protagonists. Um, just just a, a, a truly phenomenal filmography. Everyone should watch all of her films. So I was really excited for this film. But I was also weary of the fact that it had a title that is sort of like, what? Um, it was being released by A24 in March. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, despite the fact that Michelle Williams comes off an Oscar nomination for The Fableman. A, like, a lot of people saw this movie in 2022 at festivals, which often is like, well, they're pushing it because it doesn't. And like, I do think, right. I do think like they pushed it because it wasn't going to be an awards player. And like it, it did actually yeah. did pretty well for a Kelly Reichardt film in the spring. It's just, yeah. They just, yeah, and all, which, which, I completely agree with you, but I was worried about, right. I was just like, is this cause this movie isn't good. And then I went to see it um, at the arrow. There was a Q and a with Kelly afterwards. Um, one of the best Q and A's I've ever seen just because Kelly was like, why are you here listening to me? Like, what are you doing here? Why, do you, why do you even want to hear me speak? Which I just, uh, just the droll kind of wonderfulness of her, but Relatable. the film um, is so, I mean, we're both artists as much as it's painful and pretentious to say that. So there is a part of me that was watching the film and just, I love that it's about how grumpy people are who make art. Mm-hmm. I'm an artiste. Phil, You're so, an artiste. Of yeah. course. But like the deepest bench of, of amazing character actors in this film. Um, it just, it's, it's just a really lovely kind of love letter to how painful and shitty it is to make art Mm -hmm. and how um, you have to do it for your own reasons. And the, the gratification needs to come in the making, not in the reception of it. Um, I just also Michelle Williams is so fucking good in this movie as the grumpiest fucking artist that's ever been. Yeah, the premise of this film is what if Michelle Williams was a grouch? (laughs) What if Michelle Williams was a grouch and she had a, a, an exhibit coming up? That, that's literally what the movie is to again talk about sound design i think if i would nominate this movie for sound design at the oscars the uh, sound design in this movie is astonishing not because it's anything particularly new but because it just like is pulling in all these like i think part of the thing about being an artiste as i am is that mm-hmm. uh you are constantly pulling in stimulus even sure. when you're not aware of it and so like you hear bird song you hear like these little like little things the last shot of this film is just two people walking away from the camera and they're it's an angled down and like you hear just birds. birds. And it's like an important thing to the film's plot, as sure. it were, because this movie is about what if Michelle Michelle Williams Grouch who had to care for a bird. But like <laughs> it literally is that. What if a grouch had to save a bird? <laughs> did, like, did you read there was this piece going around that was like I kind of hated that was like film criticism has gotten too political and i and i sort of in a vacuum i can see what they were saying which is like now film criticism is only about rewarding things that have the right politics i don't think that's accurate because like they picked a bunch of examples where i was like i thought that movie was panned like they were like she said and i was like i thought movie were kind of people were really mixed on she said (laughs) and then they were and then the person was like well and look what's in all the top tens it's showing up can you believe is anyone seen this movie? It's a movie about an artist. And I was like, that's a, but but showing up is not like political in the way you're discussing it. It's just a movie about a woman being carried for a bird. <laughs> so uh yeah, I, I was like, it's a very weird bone to pick against this movie of all things. 
Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I love showing up. I'm really sad I didn't have it higher. It was my number one for like a lot of the year. It was my number one for uh, for a while as well. I I, I think I just, um, yeah, it's funny. That was the movie that um, I wasn't sure about where it was going to fall on my list. And I rewatched <clears throat> and five minutes and I was like, oh, right. This movie's I fucking love this. Movie. This movie's fucking great. Like there's, I had no questions whatsoever about how great this film is. But any year we get a new Kelly Reichardt and a new Nicole Holoff singers, a good year. Uh, and you hurt right. my feelings didn't end up making my list, but I love that movie too. I just wanted to shout it out. Good movie. Because we saw it together. Yeah. We saw it together and Nicole was there and she said, she hi, was. Emily, I'm Nicole. And I said, hi, Nicole, I'm Emily. <laughs> What's when, your four? When Jeannie Berlin popped up in You Hurt My Feelings and our crowd cheered like, like a Marvel like movie. Like a Marvel movie. It was perfect. It's un fucking believable. All right. Uh my number four uh was lower on your list. It is Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest, uh, which I saw a couple nights ago and really thought was gonna be number one. And I was like, I just couldn't dislodge any of my top three, which have been my top three for forever. Um yeah. Uh, this movie got under my skin in a way. No pun intended. Yeah, in a way the movie intended. And uh, like I going into it have been reading a lot of people being like, I understand what it's going for. I don't think it gets there. I think the style ultimately cuts against what it's trying to say, etc. I don't know. For me, it just uh, and to be clear, Glazer's a filmmaker whose work really engages me emotionally, which is I think a thing that like three people on the planet would say. Um, no, actually. Weirdly, his films tend to, uh, in my experience, engage a lot of trans women emotionally. I don't know what that's about. Um, Under the Skin is uh, a movie that a lot of trans people really relate to. Um, Birth, similarly. Um, uh, I also really relate to Birth as like a, a, an abuse survivor. And um, Sexy Beast, just my least favorite of his films. It was also like the most like heralded and most approached until Zone of Interest. I think the Zone of Interest, which is just a movie about like just like people living their lives and having petty drama and trying to get a promotion at work and they're Nazis who are running Auschwitz is fucking astonishing in it's like daring and it sets itself such a high bar, which is you have to empathize with these Nazis, but not too much. It wants to constantly, it wants to make you aware of the ways in which they are like you so that you can be like, oh, there's a world in which I am this person without ever once forgiving them or making you think, well, they weren't so bad. And somehow it walks that line. The cut at the end to the present day made me cry. Like, I just like it's and again, uh, not to nerd out about sound design, uh, but this is like my sound sure. design winner for the year. It was justifiably nominated for the Oscar. Uh, it's one of the best sound design jobs I've ever heard in a film. It's like the idea is like I was thinking throughout about the film Son of Saul, uh, which came out a few years ago, which is like you're following a member of the Sonderkommando, which is um, uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, folks in the camps who worked with with Germans for various reasons, mostly to preserve their own lives or their families' lives. And um uh, that movie is all shot in tight focus on this guy's face. And so stuff is happening in the background, blurred out. This movie tries a similar thing with sound where you're just kind of hanging out in these people's house and they're going about their lives and having normal family things happening. But you hear gunshots, you hear screams, you hear 
things in the background. Occasionally you see flames, especially at night, which you know are like crematoriums burning bodies. And the sound design is like, the sound is the movie because there's a whole movie happening next to this that you're not looking at. And like, especially in the world we live in right now, but always there's things going on that are terrible that we're like, actively ignoring that sometimes we're complicit in and sometimes you know they're happening in another country so we sort of pretend like oh okay this is not this is not on me but like as a member of the species like it is important to be aware of these things and tuned into them so you don't become these people and yet it's so easy to become those people because like your life goes on you've got kids you got you want to get that promotion you want to like keep moving on um, and uh, just this this captures the banality of evil in a way I've never seen before, which is like, yeah, evil is just people doing shit. And it's just like people trying to live their lives can lead to evil ends. Um, it's uh, also just the way it was filmed, which is like he set up a bunch of cameras in a house and had them improvise. Great. Wonderful. Great movie. You know, so I have complicated feelings about this movie. Sure. Um, a lot of people do. Yeah, I mean, as as you might very well know, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, mm-hmm. and um, I obviously that the subject matter is is uh, very close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at the same time, you know, you you we live in a world right now where terrible things are happening in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and uh, anti-Semitism is on the rise, mm-hmm. and we. Uh, we some people are ignoring or trying their best to ignore or aren't sure how to process what's going on over there and 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 to be to be clear i think that not indulge not letting yourself get wrapped into this all the time is important you know like you need to have a life outside of atrocities but letting ignoring it entirely is also not great you know no a hundred percent i i I think that fundamentally my my issue with this film, an issue makes it sound harsher than it should, but um, is that this movie I found incredibly intellectually stimulating and emotionally not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did I did not. It's not even about caring about the characters because that's not the right word. I don't think that this movie necessarily really wants you to care about them. It wants you to. Um, see yourself in them mm-hmm. and see what you're doing every day and how that is not decidedly dissimilar to this highly uh, toxic historical moment. Yeah. Um, I, I respect all of that. Um, I respect the filmmaking and the artistry and the performances. And it, listen, it's 15 on my list. It's not as though I d- don't appreciate this movie. Um but in in a lot of ways, my issue with maybe this film in particular, but I do think I have this issue a little bit with Under the Skin too, is that Glazer can sometimes feel as though this is more of an experiment. Uh, this is more of an exercise in filmmaking than it is in actually trying to emotionally pull you into the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's just, it's just not my bag, right? No, like, that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I respect that, that other people love this movie this movie has been lauded i i think that you we were texting about this a few months ago mm-hmm. about how this you know i wasn't sure how this movie was going to play with academy members mm-hmm. um shockingly 
uh it played well because it's about world war ii mm -hmm. <laughs> and the academy has a large jewish component so yeah you know yeah it's, it's you know anyway i do think like there is this thing where like if you cared about rudolf hess and his job promotion at all on a level of like i hope this guy gets his promotion <laughs> sure i think sure. that this you know the problem with making movies about historical atrocities um you know as we see with killers of the flower moon also is this the the uh the 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 great critic um esther uh rosenbaum i think mm -hmm. is her last name uh wrote a review of this uh zone of interest on uh letterbox that is like most of the tools of filmmaking, most of the grammar of filmmaking was created by fascists, whether it's like D.W. Griffith, Laney Reifenstahl, whatever, people who actively wanted to suppress other people and turn them into villains and so on. So to tell a story about historical atrocities using that language inevitably ends up validating them in some ways. I don't go that far. I don't think that's necessarily true. But I do think that, like, sometimes when you tell a story about the Holocaust, you have to break that grammar wide open. And this movie absolutely does that. Like, there is a quality to that cut, which, spoiler, I guess, is to the present day. And people, like, cleaning the museum at Auschwitz. Yeah, yeah. That is like, oh, right, we still kind of abstract what happened, you know? Just, like, even in a movie like Schindler's List, which I think is a powerful, beautiful film that is wonderful, it is very much about, like, here's one tiny window into this massive event that was terrifying. And I think, like, Glazer gets at the ways in which it was abstracted at the time. It's still abstracted now. We talk about it as an atrocity. We don't really understand it because understanding it is just incomprehensible. Um, I, I did a lot of, like, God, I wish I could I could remember the exact quote. But I did a lot of reading about um, uh, trauma for an article I didn't write at Vox. I did write it, and then it was killed. It's It was wonderful, and people should have liked it, but they didn't. Um, and basically, there's this argument from a guy who studied trauma and Holocaust survivors, which is like, to attempt to understand something like this, any event that causes this mass amount of trauma, is to ultimately minimize it to not understand it is should be our goal to like find it conceptually unbelievable so that we can be like well let's not do that again and again like i think um a lot of movies on my list fit this you know i think to some extent oppenheimer does like i think uh killers of the flower moon obviously does it is like we need to look at this stuff so that we um uh don't repeat it and i think that zone of interest is so smart about pointing out all the ways that we can't look at it we can't understand it you know i i absolutely agree with with all of that i i think that i mean so two things come to mind um you brought up schindler's list which i think you know there was a really great uh oral history that came out on uh hollywood reporter mm -hmm. uh a couple of days ago um where spielberg talked about you know he praised zone of interest and and talked about how important it is that the holocaust make people uncomfortable and that it make and that it it, it needs to be a thing that people grapple with constantly mm -hmm. um i guess the question that i ask myself is zone of interest is not being seen by anyone whose minds need to be changed yeah. on this situation yeah mm -hmm. um and i think that schindler's list makes almost 350 million dollars worldwide for sure for sure um it it 
but 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 this, this, this there's a, there's a, a dissonance in the sense that Schindler's List, as uh, uh, much as it's trying to illustrate what transpired, is also, and I put this in quotation marks to some degree, but an entertaining movie. It's mm-hmm. still a movie. He's still trying to tell you a story, and is still trying to engage with you emotionally. Yeah, and it's why that movie was seen by people that didn't know what went down right and perhaps opened their minds to history that to me and again I, this I'm, I'm not trying to pit these films up against each other i'm just sort of and i'm I, i'm not trying to create a straw man either i just feel like we are in this discourse right now where it's like zone of interest is preaching to the converted and I'm glad that intellectually it is stimulating people and making them think about this and grapple with this, but I don't know that it's actually helping us or, or doing what art and movies can do in terms of, right. You know, illustrating to, to people that need to see. When I saw it, I saw it with a bunch of like 20 year olds. Like my theater was full of 20 somethings. And I was like, okay, these are people who probably didn't see Schindler's List. You know, there's this. I do think that this movie is, you know, this movie's obviously getting compared to Schindler's List, but the movie that I think it should be compared to is Life is Beautiful. Because this movie, like, does. I don't particularly like. Yeah, I don't like Life is Beautiful at all. Life is Beautiful turns the Holocaust into kitsch. Schindler's List for all of its traditionally entertaining aspects, never yeah. turns the Holocaust into kitsch. It is aware all the time. This is, this is horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah, yeah. And like uh, Spielberg himself, you know, in that scene in the Fablemans with the kid who's like, where, where Sammy Fableman's like, I don't know why I made you look like that about the like Paul Nazi looking dude. Um, is like yeah. Spielberg himself is aware of this thing in his brain that he can't like not make a thing entertaining. And I think he's yeah. very smart about that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, 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 this movie is a corrective to a whole bunch of stuff that made the Holocaust feel safe as Oscar bait. And I do think like, I do think that what's interesting about it is that it is wider ranging in its, what it's asking you to do. It is asking you to engage with the Holocaust. Yes, but it's also using the Holocaust as a window to make you think about all the ways we dehumanize each other and have throughout history and how we need to stop doing that. And how, you know, uh, maybe this is one of my hotter takes. I think we should not kill people. I think that I'm, I'm with you, you know, on that. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I listen, I, I, I think that it's, it feels like a movie for me that my esteem will probably grow for. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, at, with some distance and with some rewatches, I think that it'll probably end up being a movie that I like more than I do right now. And like, obviously, I put in quotation marks, but um, you know, I, I it, it's complicated, mm-hmm. and and I think that um, we should embrace the complexities and the and and all the things that go with For this sure. movie. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, as is the case with anything fucking social media or what have you, everyone wants a black and white answer to these things. And this movie, I think, is is brutally in your face about how there are no black and white answers to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we are messy, terrible, broken species. If I was, If I were to compare this to Schindler's List, I think this movie is the flip side in terms of, you know, when you're in a situation like this, you want to believe you'd be Oscar Schindler. But it's so much easier to just be 
one of the people keeping their head down totally. and not speaking up against anything because that's, you know, we've all done that. I'm not trying to say, you know, that we should, but, you know. I in- think that, I think the choice, I, I really do think that, to, again, to just make this one last comparison between these two films, I, I do think that the, the choice that Glazer makes to never show you what's going on on the other side of the wall <laughs> is what differentiates yeah. this movie from Schindler's List, right? Yeah. And and I think that his risk, if you will, is that A, your imagination is probably going to make something worse going on over there than I could actually show you. Mm-hmm. And B, what's happening over the wall is happening in a myriad of different ways. Like that is, what's happening over the wall is a metaphor for all the terrible evil things. That I, I And I understand that Glazer's making that decision. Um, I think it, it robs this movie of some power to some sure. degree or another, but I think that that's, you know. That's where, something. I think where I find some of that power is in the, there's a 12 year old girl in this movie who leaves food for people who are in the camp and like smuggles out like little things they've written. Sure. But you only see her shot through like negative negative. And like, it is this, it is what Glazer's saying. I think is that like in act of compassion in this world is like a horror movie. He's shooting it like a horror movie because like, it's so antithetical to everything that's happening. And yet the scene where she goes home and she goes into her apartment and she plays this piece of music that was left for her is so human and beautiful. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Zone of interest. I think about it all the time. Again, I found it. Also, I've been learning German. I watched a lot of this movie without having to read the subtitles, which proud of myself. It's a weird way to find that out. It's a weird (laughs) way to be like, oh, I understand the Nazis. Great. Uh, what's your number four? You're a good dog in that movie, too. I mean, not a yeah. good dog. But not a good dog. <laughs> Zone was my number four. What's your number four? Oh, my number four is May, December. Okay. Is this higher? This is going to be higher. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be higher. Uh, what's uh, your number three? Uh, my number three is Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron. So. It is. Uh, that's an honorable mention of mine, so go for it. Oh, fucking hell. Okay. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't have been that. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I loved it. <laughs> it does. It does kind of feel like. I mean, Miyazaki is one of my one of my favorites of all time. Uh, I love Spirited Away, my favorite movie ever made. It's just Incredible. just uh, uh, astonishing. Uh, Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, um, uh, you know, Ponyo, Wind Rises. All these movies I've watched so many times. Uh, Boy in the Heron is just like staggeringly accomplished in terms of like a, uh, an old man looking back on his life uh, yeah. to a certain extent. I have, you know, killers of the flower moon is that there's a lot of these movies that are like, I am old now. What is <laughs> yeah. my life? What has happened here? And it is like one of the things uh, this movie uh, crystallized for me. There's a scene early on where the protagonist, this, this little boy whose father has married a new woman and they've moved to live with her. One of the things that made me uh, sort of click into what Miyazaki has been doing his whole career in a new way is this little boy sitting at the top of the stairs and mm-hmm. his father comes home and greets his wife. And they like, you can tell they're kissing, but you can only see their, their legs and the shoes there. And I just was like, oh, the, what Miyazaki does better than anybody is remember what the world looked like when you were 12. Like, just like 
which is yeah. such a hard and specific age to capture. Um, anyway, the boy meets a heron. They go on some <laughs> adventures. The heron is like a weird troll. Uh, yeah, with a bird inside him? Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know. This movie, like, I, I did spend the first two-thirds of this movie being like, is this going to go anywhere? And then in the last last third and it starts pulling its many threads together uh particularly with like some of the core relationships this idea of like this idea of like older people think they know how the world needs to work and younger people are always tearing that down and just and discovering their own way to make it work and how like the thing i think miyazaki gets that is so beautiful is that that has to happen the way you conceived of the world has to change because the world is always changing um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was astonished by this film. I was deeply moved by it. I thought it was so beautiful. It's also like, I mean, I have a baby. So like, it was just like on that level, I just was like, oh yeah, of course I got a baby and that baby, you know, I have to accept that if, even if everything goes ideally, there's a large portion of my child's life I'm never going to see cause I'm going to be dead. And like this movie's kind of about that. And I, I love that there's a movie about that. I love that there's a movie about how I'm going to die someday. I mean, I, I this movie, honestly, I need to watch again because um, the first time I saw it, I was just kind of so floored with its vibe mm-hmm. um, that I feel like a lot of stuff kind of slipped past me a little bit. Like the, the animation is so breathtaking. It might be it might be his most beautiful film, which says a lot because all of his movies are fucking gorgeous. Um all the fire stuff in this just yeah. absolutely was just like holy fuck. Did did you see the Pattinson dub? I didn't. I saw it subtitled. I saw it subtitled too. It is worth seeing see it dubbed because Pattinson is so fucking. I really. I, my plan is. I'm assuming at some point it'll it'll go up on streaming and I'll watch the the dubbed version mm-hmm. uh, because I heard the dubbed version was amazing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I think it's this is another example of a movie that I just think is going to grow on me. I just need time with it. Um, I think that that on first blush, I was just like, there's so much happening. I need to kind of I need to like come back at this. It is uh, more than any movie he's made. It is a movie about being a Hayao Miyazaki movie. Like it is. It is so engaged. He knows this is probably my final film. He's supposedly making something else. Who knows if that'll happen. But like it's so in get you know, it is. I love final films because they're so often called shots. They're so often like okay, and you know, um, this feels like a final film. Killers of the Flower Moon really like if the last thing we ever saw of a Martin Scorsese movie was him on stage, would like what a perfect end to a career. Um, if the last thing we ever saw of Hayao Miyazaki was a boy and this mother figure he's learned to embrace walking toward the camera as a bunch of birds also fly at us. Uh, Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, and and also Dave Bautista in the dub as the parakeet king <laughs> is wonderful. Um, my number three is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Okay, good movie. Um, yeah, you know it's funny. I know we texted a little bit about this in the past because I'm. This is of all the fucking Oscar quote-unquote snubs or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it this was a movie that i was just like seriously guys yeah like i i know that this movie came out early in the year and i know that focus was all in on the holdovers as they should be and it's obviously paid dividends for them um but asteroid city 
is I watched it again recently, again, because I knew we were going to eventually do this. So I wanted to kind of reacquaint myself and see whether it still held up for me. Um, and I, I honestly think I liked it even more the second time. Um, I, I This is... Wes Anderson's movies are obviously overtly Wes Anderson films. There is an aesthetic that's going on. Um, and for some, that's just always going to fucking rub them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this is quite possibly his most beautiful looking movie. Yeah. Um, I, I think that this movie's sort of checking so many boxes of things that he's done before and maybe even done better in different movies, but to have them all kind of come together in a way that just really sung for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Jason Schwartzman's amazing in this movie. I think it's probably my favorite performance of his. Um, I think Scarlett Johansson's great. Tom Hanks is fucking great playing a grump. Um, like more grumps, guys. I think uh, Wes Anderson understanding that having Tom Hanks interact opposite, like triple, three triplets or whatever it is, is like, yep. well, of course, there's three triplets. These like triplet girls is like just yeah. money in the bank. We're just going to go yeah. back to that every so often. Yeah. I just, I also just think like, I mean, Wes Anderson is obviously exists exists in a pastiche of some sort, mm-hmm. right? Like he's always existing within some sort of a genre and he's kind of doing his own thing on it. Um, I love like fucking 50 sci-fi Wes Anderson of just like UFOs and ray guns mm-hmm. and Jeff Goldblum as an alien and just like all this sort of stuff. And then is it a hat on a hat that it's a play within all of this? Maybe like, I don't know that I necessarily totally needed that device, but it does work within yeah. the context of the film. Um, the scene with Margot Robbie at the mm-hmm. end mm-hmm. kind of makes me cry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that, listen, I'm a sucker for Wes Anderson in a lot of ways. And I think that I tend to probably think too highly of his films on the initial time i see them Mm -hmm. like french dispatch has fallen for me Mm -hmm. i really liked it when it came out and it just hasn't held up for me um grand budapest i think is a a top probably top three for me or top five for me um and i can see this film maybe lowering in the years i don't know but right now for me it just it really really works uh i thought this was his best film since uh life aquatic which is my favorite wes anderson film yeah i of course it is i I, well you know i love i love fantastic mr fox like i i like all the movies he's made since um uh life aquatic but i have always been like a little bit like I don't even want to say disappearing into his own thing because I think one of the things I love about him is that he is lost in his own thing. But like, yeah, like Grand Budapest, I just like never quite clicked with. I liked it. I love that movie, but I just like I didn't it didn't hit for me. And I was when it was like the big awards player for him. I was like, really? This is this is the one Uh, because it felt to me like he'd had like six other movies that should have been that one, like Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, It's so funny that like that was the one. But Ray Fiennes doesn't get a nomination for it. I know. I know. Um, this movie, you know, when it when it debuted at some festival, got a hugely divisive reaction. People were just, and for me, that defined it throughout. So I was like not surprised when it didn't become an awards player. Yeah. Obviously, people have warmed on it quite a bit. Um, even some of those people who saw it at that festival and had like then saw it later and were like, "Oh, this movie's better than I gave it credit for." Um, I think it's the best movie about COVID nineteen. 
Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it is a movie where everybody gets quarantined. Then they have to talk to each other through little windows that are framed like zoom windows. And like, it's your notes, right? It's and true. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, I, and I also think like, I do think there is an emotional component to this movie that only works if you are between the ages of 35 and 45, which is we have been watching Scarlett Johansson and Jason Schwartzman grow up roughly similar to us for years. And now they're playing parents of like teenagers and they're playing people who have regrets and are middle-aged, and you're like, yes, that's me too. And I do think if you're not between those specific ages, it maybe doesn't hit quite the same way, but I am. So I, I Listen, I think it should also be said too that um, this movie cost $25 million to make. It made $55 million. It was a hit, for lack of a better way of putting it, on the Wes Anderson scale of of success, right? Which is, I imagine none of his movies cost all that much more than that. I think he tries to exist in this little kind of slipstream of like, just let me kind of do my thing and it'll pay dividends in the end. And I think that he gets all these enormous casts and he gets all these people. So like it works for him. Um, but I get it. Like I, I, I do get that. I don't know that he's, is he ever going to make that movie that you know, that really, really hits. I don't like with critics. Like, I just don't know. I think that he will. I think he's going to have a movie that wins him a bunch of Oscars. I think it's just like the thing that Grand Budapest did was it was wedded to important subject matter yeah. in a way that like this wasn't. But if like he had made this movie and it was more overtly about like the Black Scare, I think probably people would have, or the Red Scares. <laughs> it was more overtly about the Red Scare. <laughs> uh it would um i agree I yeah i heard you know uh, the black uh, death yeah what if you made a movie about the black death there we go the black plague that yeah, we're that's what about? we call the black that's the black yeah. death right yeah, the yeah, black plague. yeah, yeah whatever yeah. yeah i i you're not wrong which is that one of these plague. days one of these days he's going to make a movie about some sort of quote unquote as you said important subject matter that will transcend that everyone will be like oh he did it and you're he's like, okay. so obsessed with mid-20th century america there's no way he doesn't make a movie that overlaps with world war ii again and people will be like finally a movie about important subject matter and it'll be about like a little boy who meets a dog and the dog can talk and it'll be like my dad's away at war and the dog will be like i feel intense ennui all of the time and it'll be like voiced by like liam neeson I can't wait. So is he doing a remake of The Boy in the Hair? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, kind of, maybe. You know. Uh what's your what's your number 2, Emily? My number 2 is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Oppie, mm. uh my friend Oppie, uh mm-hmm. J Robert Oppie. I don't know. I've still only seen this movie once, but it, it blew me away. It uh astonished me. I'm not a huge I used to say I'm not a huge Nolan fan, but like his last uh every movie he's made since dark knight rises has just clicked with me a little bit more uh interstellar uh uh dunkirk and uh of course tenet a masterpiece everyone agrees it's a masterpiece and uh then i'm seeing it again tomorrow night in imax i've not seen it on the big screen you know what you're gonna fucking love it the thing about the thing about tenet is you need to forget trying to figure anything out you need to just embrace that it's a movie about guys being bros and that's perfect i think i've told you this before um you anyway uh, uh oppenheimer i think is his best film i am going to be okay. surprised if he ever tops it i think it is uh a movie where okay so sometimes i'll see a movie and there'll be discourse around it and i'll be like i get that i get why that didn't work for you 
sometimes there's a movie like Barbie where literally anything anybody says about it, I want to argue with. Like, if someone's like, that movie sucked, I'm like, no, fuck you. And if someone's like, that movie's the best movie of all time, I'm like, no, fuck you. So, like, that's just, you know, where I am with that. And sometimes there's movies where the discourse just makes me angry. And Oppenheimer is one of those. I think that a lot of the discourse around this actively didn't understand it. I think a lot of the discourse around this was based on the title. I think that people sort of didn't comprehend that it's not really a movie about Oppenheimer, even though he's in the title. It is a movie about his, it is a movie about creating anything that you can't take back. It is a movie about like the chain reactions that result from our every action centered on a man who like made a thing that could destroy the world. And like, and then like people were like, well, but yeah, it says that nuclear weapons are a good thing. And I'm like, have you watched this movie? No. Uh, it ends with Albert Einstein being like, I think you ended the world. And Oppenheimer being like, I think I ended the world. And like, we're supposed to be like, think that's a good thing. I don't know. It ends with a shot of fire consuming the earth. Uh, I think that, um, this movie is astonishingly well edited. I rewatched some of it the other night from my 4K player. Um, the sequence where they and the the neat thing about it is, even though it's like this, it's a it's basically a three hour long montage. Every time he's like, "I'm going to stop the montage and just do a straightforward sequence," like the the first detonation of the first bomb, it just like clicks in and is just like a great action thriller movie. Um, I, I, I'm amazed by how well this film works. It should not. I, it, the movie I compare it to is Mad Max Fury Road, where it feels like it's all in his head and he's just like translating it in a way that only he could. Uh, Chris Nolan, you're my friend now. Let's hang out. You know, I, I this movie is really interesting because I, I saw it in theaters with Barbie. Um, you saw it with Barbie? With Barbie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Um, and then I saw it again, um, in IMAX up at, uh, the fucking city walk. Um, and I liked it even more the second time. <clears throat> and then I watched it at home. Um, the thing that I find so interesting and you kind of alluded to it is how impressionistic this movie is. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and how impressionistic a filmmaker Nolan is. I, I don't think that people appreciate sort of how much Terrence Malick exists within uh, Chris Nolan and how much sort of um, he he's a vibe filmmaker. I think because his movies are also, or at least the more successful ones, have either been about big pieces of IP um, or sort of these twisty kind of um, heisty sort of movies that people get kind of caught up in all of that, which is understandable. And it's part of why I think they are as successful as they are. But when you watch the first, I don't know, 20 minutes of Oppenheim and you're like, oh, right, no one said anything. Yeah. Kind of. We're just sort of existing in this space of, of, um, of kind of the beauty and the, and the fear that exists inside this man's mind um, is it's 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 astonishing mm -hmm. ultimately um I, I think that uh there are people that that think the third act of this film is quote unquote unnecessary yeah. um and mm -hmm. to that i don't really know what to say yeah. other than the fact that you might have missed the point a little bit yeah if you think this is just a movie about a boy and his bomb mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of not really getting the, the point of the film mm -hmm. um you know i i i it's a movie that I will only grow in its esteem. I have no doubt that it's seventh on my, on my list right now. And I'm sure that in the years to come, it'll only grow. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, 
just staggering achievement. I think, and it made a billion dollars. I, which is amazing that Insane. this movie made that much money. I think that uh, Barbenheimer, as fun as it was, and as great as it was to have those two movies out from two major directors, mm-hmm. I think it ultimately did both of them a disservice. Because it ended up like making one the boy movie and one the girl movie in a way that like I think was actively harmful to both. And um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I'm, agree. I hope that as time goes on, you know, um, we will be able to like separate them a little bit more. I, eventually, we will. That's just how time works. Um, but yeah. Well, I you know it's funny. You would say separate them, and I would say almost maybe infuse them more in a weird way. I have a Barbenheimer poster on my wall, and I think that what I love is that both. I, I, not that they coexist in my brain, mm-hmm. but your the distinction you made, which I think was true, which is that they became the boy and the girl movie. I kind of feel like let's just smush that shit together and let's just like forget about these kind of lines that exist, at least from a gender perspective. Um, but but to your point about like whether they helped and hurt each other, I do think that they helped each other from a box office perspective. Yeah. I think there's no question that 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 sort of moment and the kind of phenomenon of Barbenheimer helped them both. Oh, for sure. Um, but I think it also hurt them both because then they were compared all the fucking time. Yeah. And you're just like, these movies really shouldn't be compared. You know, when people were mad about the Barbie snubs, whatever you want to make of them at the Oscars, I think what I kind of eventually realized is what they were mad about was that Oppenheimer was the big movie and Barbie was, was, you know, living in its shadow. And however you feel about that, like you, you, I'm totally fine if you prefer Barbie to Oppenheimer. I get, I think that's a wonderful position to hold. They're both wonderful sure. films. Um, you know, uh, I do think it's like, yeah, it, it's just kind of sad to like, and but that's what the Oscars do. They make us be like, all art should be in competition. So I don't know. Uh, Oppenheimer, great. But I'll say this, mm. you know, as two people that are Oscar people, I love the right? Oscars. It, yeah. I think we love the Oscars because um, we don't like sports. <laughs> Listen, I love everything. I love any time that people are are fighting each other. Really. Um. So that was your number two, right? That was that was that was my number two. I just I do want to shout out. Um. I think that this movie is impeccably well cast and has amazing performances at every level. Uh. It's kind of weird to me that Robert Downey Jr. is going to win an Oscar for this film, even though I think he's wonderful in it. I would have voted for like several other people in the category, but whatever. Anyway, what's your number two? I mean, I I think that I, I. On just very quickly on the Robert Downey Jr. of it all, you know, he is very good in this movie. Turns out Robert Downey Jr., very good actor, has been a very good actor for a very long time. I love, so like, yeah, I know. love that he was just like, I'm going to remind you why I was written about as one of the great acting talents of all time. Here, let's yeah. have some fun. Right. And and listen, I, I he'll win his Oscar and great. I, it is what it is. Um, my number two is Poor Things. Um, a movie that I don't know your feelings on, but I don't think you're a big fan of. Uh, I liked it. I I liked it. It's not it's not on my list though. I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> Poor Things is the one movie that I wish I got to rewatch before sure. coming on this podcast with you. Um, I was really taken with it right when I saw it in. October, November, whenever I got to see it, I went to a, a, a guild screening of it with and... Barbie. With Barbie, yeah, your girlfriend Barbie, <laughs> my girlfriend Barbie. Um, you know, it's a movie that I haven't read a ton of pieces about it, but I've heard the discourse, and I understand the people that 
don't like it mm-hmm. or that it doesn't work for. Um, and it's why I wish I got to to rewatch it. Um, but I kept it here because I've only seen it once. And the one time I saw it, this is how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of going to stick with it for, for now. Uh, will this movie fall in, in my esteem? I don't know. But I'll just say that... Um, Someone posted something the other day about how poor things is Barbie for people who like Bjork. Mm. Um, I I, uh, I love Bjork. True. <laughs> I love Barbie, um, and that's where I am. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's that's an accurate assessment. Um, uh, yeah. I I mean, like, uh, I I I like this movie enough that Ruffalo is my supporting actor winner. Like, I think he's fantastic in this movie. He's so yes. funny. I think Emma Stone's fantastic. Um, it just like. It does two things I couldn't quite get on board with. I think the second half of it is uh, kind of repeats itself. I think it's like making the same, uh, making the same point over and over again. At a certain point, I got it. It's like it's it, it, it's very much, and like I'm not going to go as far as like Angelica Jade Bastian, who thinks this movie is actively misogynist, but I do okay. think it is a movie about feminism made by some people who have like kind of a cursory understanding of it and are like, to be clear, like that can be good. Like, I think that Barbie, I think that Barbie is similarly like, here's an, here's an entry level feminism course for you in the middle of this movie, but Barbie knows it's doing that. And I'm not sure poor things does. That's fair. And uh, the other thing, it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get weird about anytime you're sexualizing a child, which is effectively what this movie is doing. And uh, I, I think to be clear, the fact that this movie didn't trigger the shit out of me is a is a point in its favor. It does a really good job of walking that line. Emma Stone is fantastic as a baby. My only dream in life is to call her Emily. Um, and uh, but it is like, yeah, it is this thing of like the end of the film kind of lets the Defoe character off the hook. And I think that that is necessary for the screenplay and the story of the film and the metaphor of the film. It's just a thing that I was like, yeah, I need that guy to die in a fire and that's my own business. So, you know, I think that and also his the- name is God, which is way too obvious. Please go ahead. I, I, I and this is, this might seem like a cheat, so hmm. forgive me, but I, I do think that, this movie's a fable. This movie's sure. a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And I think that um I don't mean that to be a get it a jail free card. No. But I also think like it's a little bit of a get it a jail free card. Like it's a little bit of sure. like we need to stop kind of you know, yes, this movie is rife with metaphors. Yes, this movie has lots of things to say. I don't think that it that it is neither of those things. But I also do think it's playing in a sandbox. Um, it's trying to have fun. I think that that the Emma Stone performance, the re- one of the reasons, myriad of reasons that I think it's so good, is because she is somehow threading a very very small needle. Of She's amazing. Yeah, comedy and drama and. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about the arc that Barbie has over the course of that film. You know, what Bella Baxter and what Emma Stone is doing mm-hmm. in this film is is pretty magical. Um, and it's when this movie started, I'd say for the first 15 minutes or so, I was like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get on this ride. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this movie is just, it's just, it's too much. And then once I got on this wavelength, I was like, you know what, I'm actually really enjoying this and I'm having a good time with this and I'm not taking it too seriously, even though it is handling some serious 
you know, uh, themes. Um, yeah, I just, I, I appreciated kind of the back half of like when she's working at the brothel and, and, and I really appreciated the sort of sex positiveness of this movie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 the idea of how, quite frankly, superfluous men are mm-hmm. in this movie and in Barbie, yeah. uh, I think is, is, is a lovely thing. Yeah. So these are all things that really worked for me. But, I think you know. if this movie would be somewhere on my list, if it lost, and I hate saying this because I don't think any movie's too long if it's good, but I do think it is, it, there's like 10 minutes in here where it felt like it was repeating itself. I if that. it sharpened that a little bit, maybe. I get that. I yeah. do think this section at the end with Christopher Abbott is um, not, it's, it's one of the weaker parts of the film, which hurts it, but it ends on the best joke, which is always a plus. Right? Yeah. There you go. So yeah. good work, poor things. And again, I want to be clear, like my business with this movie is just my own bullshit. I don't think, I you know, it. I don't think this is a, literally a movie about sexualizing a child. It's just like a thing I get worked up about for some That's reason. Fair. As so, we should all be worked up yeah. about it. Uh, do you want to talk honorable mentions before we do? Our I do. Um, my okay. honorable mentions include uh, Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Uh, very, very fun movie that I had a great time with and uh, saw it several times and always laughed. Once I saw it with my minister and that was a fun experience because she was with her wife. And at the end, they were both like that movie really said some things that needed to be said. And I was like, sure did. Thank you. Put in a good word for me with Jesus. Um my uh also have Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid. Uh my least favorite of his three films. He's a filmmaker I love though, and like that movie does things that I think no other filmmaker could do. I'm glad he got it out of his system because it's been pretty clear he's wanted to make it for a long time. Uh I think he's a little wounded that it it didn't flop, but it did not do great. I think he's wounded by that. Uh Fallen Leaves, which we've already talked about. Um, I have kind of a kind of a split here of two blockbusters I really love that I wanted to like force onto this list. So I have six yeah. films. Um, but I have uh The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Both movies I think do amazing things with their respective franchises. Uh Songbirds and Snakes is like a wonderful prequel when that's very hard to make. Across the Spider-Verse is a wonderful sequel when that's very hard to make. And the people who say that it is half of a movie are dead wrong and should uh go away and like just don't fuck off. Uh and uh my last uh, runner-up is the Starling Girl. Uh, a wonderful debut feature about uh, growing up uh, female in uh, evangelical America. Uh, I think it, people should seek it out. I can't wait to see what uh, the filmmaker does next. Uh, mine, we mentioned uh, The Boy and the Heron. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted uh, to mention All of Us Strangers, a sure. movie that um, stayed with me uh, in ways that I was a little surprised about because I was a little cold when I left the theater on it. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, there's there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of really beautiful performances, beautiful relationships. Um, I think that it's uh, it's a that's that's a bummer. It didn't get at least one Oscar nomination. It felt like that movie could have used just a little bit of love to get more people to see it. Hmm. Um, I don't think it's a perfect movie by any means, but uh, I do think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in it. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to The Holdovers. It's a movie that uh, I liked fine when I saw it in the theater. Um, I was, I continue to be surprised to some degree for the adulations that this movie seems to be getting. I think that's more indicative of the fact that we quote unquote don't make movies like this anymore. So everyone's just like really excited that one exists. I think this is the movie that is appealing to men in their 60s this year. 
not in a bad yeah, way. It's the dad movie. Yeah, it's yeah, the dad yeah. movie, and that's fine. Yeah. I I, I like I liked it just fine too. <laughs> yeah, I, I and, I'm gonna again, watch it, it every year because Christmas is in it. So this is the thing where it's like it is a movie that I'm like a little bit kind of prickly about now, but mm-hmm. I do think that like I'll probably soften on it and I'll probably like it more as as years go by. But I liked it fine, and it's worth a mention. Sure. Uh, I wanted to mention, uh, and you mentioned it earlier, but uh, Nicole Hofcenter's "You Hurt My Feelings," uh, a really really good movie that. Um, deserved a little bit more love. Kind of surprised that Julie Louis Dreyfus, who is obviously like critics' darling, didn't you know get some love from critic circles or what have you. Um, it just kind of that movie just didn't make really any impact, which is a bummer because I really liked it. Yeah. Um, and then my last one, you, you mentioned it earlier in terms of uh, it, it, my my I don't know what you would call it, my franchise blockbuster what have you is teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem oh, that's a fun movie yeah uh that movie's a lot of fun and a movie that more people should watch um so that that, that those are my honorable mentions hey what's your number one emily let's hear it uh well it's teenage mutant ninja turtles no <laughs> i did really like that movie uh my number one is uh may december todd haynes film uh which uh Another movie I left and uh, was trembling and shaking and was like sure. masterpiece. <laughs> and then I couldn't like then I couldn't sleep for like three hours like that. Like we're, I'm talking about how it's a miracle that poor things didn't trigger me. May December triggered the fuck out of me. And then I put it okay. at number one on my <laughs> top ten, which is, you know, just just how I roll. Um, uh, it's a it's a movie about a uh, uh, um it's a movie about a woman who started an affair with a 12-year-old, and now she's married to him, and she's Julianne Moore, so she's like, I think she's in her 60s in the film, and her now her husband's in his 30s, and uh, it's sort of loosely based on the Mary Kay Letourneau thing. Um, and then this actress comes into their life, played by Natalie Portman, and she is going to be in a movie about this situation, uh, and it is at every turn uh complicating your feelings on this uh Haynes is so good and always has been so good at using comedy to break up these dark intense things but the deeper you get into the film the more willing it is to go to those dark places I love how the tone of the movie shifts based on which of the three main characters you're following at that point Julianne Moore is in like a traditional melodrama Natalie Portman is in kind of like a showbiz satire and Charles Melton who plays the husband is in like a really terrible like tragic drama this is this is one of the few movies I think to ever get into the exploitativeness of a situation like this not just on the part of like you know uh uh the people involved in it or the or the, the woman who's a sexual predator but also in like the hot, the industry that keeps preying on stories like this and replicating them uh it got kind of dinged by the fact that uh vili Fulonama, the uh that that the, the the person uh who when he was a kid mary kay latorno like uh was a sexual predator toward him i couldn't think of the right verb uh, raped him uh was uh uh you know he was like well they could have made a great movie if they consulted with me but like i think if this movie was about him directly it would lose some of its power it would become the thing that it is sort of against um i know i think this movie's brilliant uh it it made me want to you know drive my car into a wall and that's a good thing yeah i mean i i adored i adored this film and i um you know it's number four on my list it's probably probably should be number three if i'm being honest or maybe even number two um i should be number one let's be honest i mean (laughs) I, uh, your list should be exactly like mine. 
I, I think what's interesting about this movie is, I mean, there's so many things, but, you know, Todd Haynes, and you mentioned it, he has this sort of acerbic wit that exists within his films. Mm-hmm. But this was sort of the most overtly funny movie I feel like he's maybe ever made mm-hmm. in the sense of, and again, based on a script he didn't write, but um, it, it is from the first fucking music cue, the movie is does feel like not a parody that's the wrong word but that it is knowingly a little winky as to sort of how melodramatic it is it's yeah Um, it starts in lifetime mode and it knows you think it's going to start there and then it strips all that away yeah yeah it's i mean it's it's a it's a it's a pretty staggering movie and 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 the performances from the three leads that you just mentioned um are so good I, this this is one of those i mean i i know that i complained earlier about asteroid city but this movie being almost entirely ignored by the academy is odd um i don't know if maybe todd haynes just they just don't really like him um they you know what i mean like carol didn't get a best picture nomination um you know far from heaven like he's making these movies that i think um they just can't lock into. And this one, I was like, well, this is the one, like, how could this not be the one when I saw it? And then I'm baffling to me. I would not be surprised if Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, there, there was category confusion. Like I know that they ran Portman and lead and more in supporting, which I think is correct. Um, But I do, I could imagine reading it as the flip flop of that. Um, Charles Melton, I think people were just not going to vote for the kid from Riverdale, which is too bad. He gives my performance of the year. He is my, if I can nominate anybody in supporting actor, he's my winner. Um, He's, he's phenomenal. He's He's like one of the few, uh, he's right there with Cheryl, Cheryl Lee and, and firewalk with me for like capturing the weight that this sort of uh, crime has on a child as they grow toward adulthood. Um, But yeah, uh, the Academy philistines well it's 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 also just sort of you know like come on you're not uh, my the 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 best director nomination this year that was the most kind of i don't want to say egregious but the one that i'm just like get fucking alexander Payne out of there like i mean just get him out of there well he thought he was he wasn't nominated at the oscars so oh he wasn't no he was nominated at dga like okay. he and, so it's Glazer that got the nomination that was his ultimately. Uh, Glaze, yeah, Glazer and Triet re- replaced Gerwig and. Okay, uh, I mean, Payne. I don't know. I just, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. This, it's tough. But my point, more than anything, is that Todd Haynes is one of those filmmakers that it seems as though the Academy is just never going to get on board with, and his filmography will be studied in film schools forever. He's too queer. It is. He's too queer. I think he just is. I think for as much as the Academy has diversified uh, queer since cinema has always been on the outside looking in, um, you know, if you have a film that is embraced by them, that is queer, it is usually made by a a non-queer filmmaker. Um, like right. like a moonlight or a brokeback mountain and that's that's great i love both those movies but like a movie about queerness made by queer people uh is rarely embraced so i hear that um so my number one is past lives you knew that mm-hmm. um i, I it, oh god i really did think it was going to be skin of Marink. that's like it's a <laughs> surprise you know i i saw past lives i was very eager to see it after the yeah. raves coming out of sundance it come, came out in july which i think didn't 
do it any favors in a lot of ways. Um, I did a podcast recently uh, on the Patreon with uh, Jessica Ellis comparing past lives and before sunset. Um, so if anybody is interested in hearing me expound even more on past lives, you should go there. But I'll just say like, this is just this is my shit. I'm I'm a sucker for a uh, small, intimate, you know, melancholy romance. Um, I'm always going to kind of that's always going to work for me. Um, that being said, I rewatched this, you know, for the for the Patreon episode and uh, was kind of floored by it all over again. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, I think that Greta is Greta Lee is tremendous in this film. I think the three leads are amazing. Um, I. I I love the note that this film is able to end on, which is sort of having its cake and eating it too, um, of the fact that these two people cannot be together in this life, mm-hmm. um, but that uh, p- perhaps anything is possible in the future. Um, I-, I think it's beautifully filmed. Um, I think the score by the by the guys from Grizzly Bear is kind of perfect. Um, you know, again, like this is this is total fucking indie um, catnip you know it's 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 hitting all those erogenous zones so i understand people that are just sort of like shrug it off a little bit or feel like it's not substantive um but yeah i mean this movies about the little things between people are always going to strike me probably harder than gigantic movies i do think this movie's uh and it's in my top 10 i love this movie um celine song is in my director list um and greta lee's in my actress list i fucking love greta lee i just want greta lee to be my friend hey greta i do too can i also call you emily like i call emma stone emily (laughs) um i'm sure she'd be fine with it yeah she'd she'd think that was great Um, that's cute i uh the um yeah so uh i i love this film i do think it is a bit of a generational thing clearly like people of all ages have liked this movie but i think this movie hits you dead center if you recognize all the technology they're using and remember exactly how you used it uh i read a i read a really because my wife was like she liked it but she was left a little cold by it and i was like that's interesting i expected you to love this movie um and i read a thing that i thought was very perceptive about it which is from a critic who loved the movie who was like this movie is really about the regret you bring to it and i think that a lot of people who don't bring that level of regret like i have regrets you know uh and i i bring them to this film i think if you can't quite get there you're like that's a lovely film and then you kind of forget about it and don't think about it 100 percent. and uh yeah i i have regrets and i thought about it a lot <laughs> yeah i, I yeah i think there's also i mean there's a cultural divide to some degree as well i think that there are people that still struggle with subtitles and still struggle with with movies about cultures that they're not a part of well they should um, watch godzilla minus one and get used love to it. it uh but anyway uh i loved it um everyone should watch it i think i mean th- what a wide array of films we have discussed yes. should we should we just do our top 15s again just to, yeah, to uh yeah i'm uh i'm at 15 i have eileen at 14 i have passages at 13 i have showing up at 12 i have godzilla minus one at 11 i have are you there god it's me margaret at 10 i have asteroid city at nine i have skin of a rink at eight i have a thousand and one at seven i have past lives at six i have killers of the flower moon at five i have anatomy of a fall four is the zone of interest three is the boy and the heron two is oppenheimer and one is may december every movie we've talked about today i think is worth seeing even even the ones where i'm like less enthusiastic i think all these movies are 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 a great time i think it's a really good year for the cinema uh, and i think honestly it's one of the better oscar lineups we've had in a long time so 
I I agree with all of that. Um, I think it, it, it considering the fact that 2024 is looking like it's going to be a little thin. Um, oh, I don't like. I but I have already seen a movie in twenty for 2024 where I'm like, that's going to be in my top five. And if it's not, oh, yeah. I'm going to be astonished. Um, I saw the TV glow is brilliant, and I hope I hear that's amazing. Yeah, I don't mean to suggest that we're not going to get great movies this year, mm-hmm. but I think that last year. I was surprised when everything was done when I was making my list. And I was just like, wow, there were a lot of really good movies made this year. So we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully we and get listen, a bunch. But by the time this podcast goes out, we will have seen Dune too. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dune. Yeah. Um, my list at 15, I had the zone of interest, 14, Adam, you have a fall 13, fallen leaves, 12, fair play, 11, the killer 10. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, nine, maestro, eight, killers of the flower moon, seven, Oppenheimer, six, Barbie, five, showing up for May, December, three, asteroid city, two, poor things. And number one, past lives. Oh yeah. Um, I just, next, uh, yeah. also, I just remembered that the person I was thinking of David Ehrlich never likes Denny Villeneuve films. He just mm-hmm. isn't on that wavelength. That's so. me with credit, I guess. What a great comparison. I I like love Villeneuve too, which is very weird because he's very broy, not broy, but you know what I mean. The bros love him. He's the, the bros do love him, yeah. which is weird because his movies are like very poetic and esoteric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, very strange. What are we doing um, next? What we're doing next uh, is Toys. Toys is coming up on Friday. Yeah, a film with, that uh, uh, we all loved. It was a great episode uh, based on a bizarre movie um, that Emma Stefanski came on to talk with us about. Um, Emma and and Emily had not seen Toys, so it was a a first time for them. Yeah, Um, I think that I have since watched it six more times. No, that's not true. If a teenage Emily had seen Toys, I think it would have become her entire personality. Um, Entirely possible. Entirely possible. (laughs) But who knows? Uh, well, thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening, and enjoy <laughs> movies. Enjoy movies.